ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Chris and Andre Show, episode 56. I'm Andre. Oh, yeah. And I'm Chris. <laughs> yeah, we've been kind of... Uh, well, somebody's been busy with life over the, in his neck of the woods. I uh, don't know who that may be. Um, so we didn't, we didn't record last week. No, we didn't. Um, yeah, so I am in the process of doing a bunch of house renovations. For those of you that might be, I don't know, uh, tech savvy enough or Google savvy enough to have found <laughs> last week's episode in YouTube form. Um, which we are, well, I say we, I am kind of working on, <laughs> that was really just a test run. Uh, the idea was get this done and make sure this works and then I'll be motivated to get the episode edited. Did not happen that way. Um, but I did start ed- editing at last week's, not last week's, two weeks ago's episode, uh, today. So hopefully I'll get that up tomorrow, but yes. Around the house. As Andre can see, um, I am now in my newly painted uh, office with no popcorn ceilings anymore. That's cool. Which is literally like the best part of any of it. I mean, the white, the going from like the dark stained trim to white is also a very nice just like, oh, this feels so light and airy in here. Whereas before this felt like a dank dark basement Um, because my office is on the lower level of a split level and so it's right Right. on the concrete pad which has the you know benefit of providing a nice sound dampening from a lot of external noise um but also you know makes it feel a little basement yeah Yeah, not even like creepy but just basementy and then yeah when you've got all the dark wood trim and then like the den area you know outside here is all wood paneling um which i had painted over and so like you didn't see like but i don't know for whatever reason and i'm guessing it's just the colors that i had on there before and everything the the wood paneling and like the that stupid little seam that they always have in it you know yeah it just really stood out like this is just painted wood paneling now that it's been painted by professionals you can't um, even tell. Or it I, looks like it's supposed to be there. Yeah. Like it just looks like the it almost looks like a like an intentional, you know, ooh, this is kind of nice. You know, like I feel like <laughs> somebody's gonna walk in, you know, when I finally get around to selling this house and be like, ooh, I really like what they did. Like, I don't know. That's where I'm at right now, is I've I've I had started watching a bunch of the renovation shows on right. Discovery Plus or whatever when we had our one week trial. And so everything that I'm seeing, I'm like, okay, yeah, like, this is what we're going to do. This is what, you know, is ultimately going to get us the best return on investment. And, you know, it's like, I've got a banister and I'm like, I think we should rip this out and put in something more modern. <laughs> Actually, Well, you know, you have a, a, a former realtor that was really good at staging houses. Yes. I was like, I was creepy good. Yeah. Like, and I will, I will be taking full advantage of your skills when yeah. the time comes, my friend. Don't, yeah. don't. <laughs> don't think i'm sleeping on that knowledge oh i was like crap i was like man i 
it's like when you like somebody has a kid like oh yeah we'll babysit i've learned not to say that like i don't want to do that like now i don't i don't want to call out i don't want to ask you to call out anybody like specifically on the podcast but i'll do it anyways you from what i recall have a had a, a certain shall we say distaste for one of the local realtors who's yeah. pretty well known around here i think uh is it Mike Spain, right? Something like Mark, that. Mark, Mark Spain. Spain. Mark Spain. Yeah. Not not loving that guy. Uh, <laughs> now, isn't correct me if I'm wrong, because I've seen this guy's billboards. It's a hustle. Okay. Yeah. It's here's nothing for the house that yeah. is more worth likely, way more than this. Yeah, more than likely it's tax value. Right. And he's gonna flip it and make retail value on it. So um yeah, I don't I'm not a big fan. Uh there's a there's a couple realtors in the area where um, I'm just not a big fan. And it's not that, and my wife says I'm a hater and I'm not a hater. It's just like some people do shady stuff. <laughs> you got to call it out. You yeah. can't be like, uh, like Linda, well, this is, well, not a fan of Linda Craft either. She does kind of the same thing, but Mark Spain is, he's got like a ton of money going into his advertising, um, like a ton. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of them. There's, those two are the ones that really push my buttons when I see them. And Linda Kraft, not so much because she doesn't do the whole, um, you know, I'll buy your house for you. Yeah. But Mark Spain, more than likely, that's what he's doing. So Yeah, because it's this whole, like, guaranteed offer, right? Yeah. I guarantee you'll get an offer on your house because I'm literally going to offer you nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll make you an offer you couldn't take. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get tax value, and, and which is typically – it all depends on which neighborhood, right? Sure, it be, and, it, and it depends on what the, what the individual homeowner's financial situation is, right? right? Like, right. it could be where, you know, the – the tax value is potentially, you know, greater than or equal to roughly what the house is worth on the market because of whatever renovations and things need to be done. Right. And so, you know, in that case, sure, if you don't want to go through the hassle, the of, hassle, yeah, of of upgrading or or you know getting it ready for putting it on the market and then dealing with it being on the market. But th- I, it's, I guess it's just funny to me because I I look at where the real estate market in Raleigh has been in the greater you know Wake County area and I just think like if you're having trouble selling your house like you know I got 90 Why? if you're having trouble selling your house I feel bad for you son yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was literally thinking the same thing but I'll tell you the number one reason it's pricing right so when you actually uh start to do the comps in a house. Um, if you price it too high, and a lot of times, you know, you'll have some sellers are like, oh, I, but I think it's worth this. Or they say, well, my neighbor down the street, you know, he sold his house for this and it's like 10% higher than what it should be listed at. And when you start to do the comps, you notice like, well, they have a lot of things that you don't have, like, you know, uh, a Grecian shower or, or like uh, a chef's kitchen. There's, there are things that just because you're in the same neighborhood, don't make the house applicable to your comps yeah. when you're, uh, when you're doing, getting that ready. So a lot of times it's, it's pricing. It's how you list the house and to pat myself on the back. Cause I was, I am really proud of this. I typically listed and sold a house within 2% of the list price. So, um, 
that means I was pretty spot on. So that meant the 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 sellers got the the money they needed, and the people that bought the house got the house at a fair market value. So I mean, um, and a lot of that. Correct me if I'm wrong, as the expert, um, at least amongst the two of us, but. Isn't that just a matter of really like doing your research, like doing your homework yeah. and pulling the comps and yeah. being, you know, like a good real estate agent? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it goes back to it's just math, yeah. right? Um, and a lot of a lot of times you'll see like swings in appreciation, and you can actually see that within like month to month, right? Sure. Um, and this area is typically a seller's market ninety percent of the time. Yeah. It's rarely a buyer's market, um, but, and there are, there are deals, but you can, even when you're buying a house, you can actually probably read through some of the BS. Um, like you'll, for example, you'll see a house that was, it, it'll show it's been on the market for 45, 60 days. But when you start doing research, you'll notice that there, it was, this is the second or third time it's been on the market. Yeah. It's off the market for like, you know, three, four months in between the other two times. Um, and you start to understand that in a positive life for the seller, they can probably afford to keep in the market a little bit longer. So that kind of shifts your, shifts your negotiation power. Right. Um, and there's other little tricks you can do. Like, I mean, you start to notice like trends, but you want to really do your homework um, and understand math. You know, I had a, <laughs> It's just math. Or invest it's, in a calculator. I mean, it's yeah, like yeah. one or the other people. <laughs> there are some things you just can't, uh, you, you can't BS around, you know? Um, so, but it's an interesting uh, field of work. And the only thing I really liked about it was the negotiation part of it. Everything else was kind of not my favorite, but I love to negotiate. I love to get the numbers right to, uh, you know, sell a house within the listing agreement that was always a good feeling. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it, uh, reminds me cause I think a lot of our conversation previously about, uh, Mark Spain and the real estate market in Raleigh and all of that stuff, um, came up right after we did the habitat for humanity, um, oh. building and you and I didn't get the chance to do the same shift together, but you know, had worked right. on the same house and, um, it, that was one of those things where I I guess I'd never realized how comfortable I felt swinging a hammer until <laughs> I got out there, you know? And then it's like, after you've been doing it for a little while and people are kind of like, oh, wow, like you can actually do this. So it's like, yeah, like, I mean, I've, I've been around construction sites enough right. <laughs> in my life and worked on, you know, rebuilding a deck with my dad and, you know, other okay. projects like that where it's like, yeah, I understand the ba basics of, carpentry and yeah. you point me in the right direction and make sure I'm not doing the wrong thing. Like I'll probably be fairly useful. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that was one of my favorite things about that experience was, you know, they just, they come in and they very quickly seem to get a, a feel for what people are comfortable doing and who they kind of need to keep a close eye on and who they can more or less kind of say alone. like, Hey, go build that wall. Yeah. You know? And it's like, okay, cool. Wall's built. <laughs> My favorite thing about the experience was actually helping people, you know? Uh, like, oh, fine. I mean, well, it's make, because no, you make me look like a total <laughs> asshole. Cause I'm like, I like the fact that I swing a hammer and Andre is like, I liked helping people. <laughs> Jesus. 
I mean, I look at it. You know, well, I'm just I, for, I yeah, I know. I don't. I, I ignored <laughs> that part. Um, I look at it for two ways. One, like that part of it for your part. I build houses, so that's not. It's kind of like no, this is, yeah, not okay. <laughs> so no, I enjoy building houses. But secondly, like I, I always rant about gentrification, and I, I just think that uh, being able to actually roll your sleeves up and and actually help people is actually you know beneficial. Um, yeah, and I mean that does bring up another thing that I was thinking about recently, which is just the the topic of like affordable housing, right? And what what that ultimately really means, or you know, like how we could look at going like because i wonder to me it's not the idea of saying here's an area of town where we're going to make the housing affordable right Right, right. because what do you end up with there the projects right like i mean it 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 becomes an area that because of whatever reputation is developed you know true or false eventually businesses ultimately leave Right. There's this like negative connotation associated with being near those areas. And so to me, like what Habitat does, where they look for opportunities, you know, to build these houses in established neighborhoods and those sorts of things just provides such a better option. You know, like you're kind of mixing that affordable housing in with. But but it's still like I'd try and it's 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 a slippery it's a slippery slope. I mean, I was coming back from uh, or I passed through Greensboro yesterday and um, there there are quite a few neighborhoods along 40 where you can see where uh, for whatever reason, a developer builds a neighborhood. And one of my biggest pet peeves about houses is when you have a lot of water um, running off the side of the house and it just turns the you know, it stains the house. It drives me crazy. Uh, I can't stand to see that. And I could tell probably more than likely it was one of those quick buck like subdivisions where we're going to throw up 50 homes. We're going to price them like, you know, let's say if the median home is like 250, we're going to price it $200,000. We're going to do our own financing. We're going to fill them up. We're going to help. We're not really help. We're going to push people in the loans more than likely an adjustable rate. And I can predictably, you'll probably have foreclosures. I am a firm believer. I, I don't think that everybody needs to own a house. I do believe that you need to have like affordable housing to me doesn't mean like it's a home, like sure. a single family home. I think that uh, rents and rents in general should be doable for at least 80% of the population of a city. And like you, you should be able to graduate to something bigger as your income allows you to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where, uh, because the owning the house isn't just buying the house, it's maintaining it. You know, uh, like I spent $8,000 on an air on a furnace and air conditioner. Right. Um, and not everybody has, or can replace that system in their house if it goes bad. Um, and I or, think that, I mean, that's a really good point that a lot of people don't always take into consideration, right? Yeah. The tertiary expenses to own in the house, right? Yeah. All uh, of the, like the amount of money that you kind of have to say, have saved up for the, if this breaks, right. Um, you know, it's like, if you're fortunate enough that you can get the insurance company to cover replacing your roof, good for you. Like I was right. in that situation, but right. For most people, you know, that's a four or five thousand dollar expense, yeah. like you know, at at least. And right. yeah, it's uh, it's definitely come back, you know, or jumped up and bit me a number of times where right. 
you know, especially as a young homeowner where you don't have that, you know, any real savings at that point, um, having an AC unit go out in the middle of the summer or finding out that, you know, your furnace is completely dead and should have been replaced five years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it, like those are the moments where you're kind of like, how am I going to eat, you know? And, right. and it's, you know, we talk about like predatory lending practices and that sort of thing, but it's like, I mean, I had, you know, heating companies that were ready to help me finance, you know, like my gas company yep. was like, oh, we'll just add it to your bill. No problem. You know, we'll <laughs> be paying it for for 40 years. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like a five year loan that I ended up with for right. replacing a furnace, you know, and it right. like for five years, my gas bill, which is normally even in the winter, like $30 was over right. $150. Right. Yeah, those are those are things I I always think about when people talk about the housing crisis that we currently have. It's it goes back to common sense, like economics. You know, like are you really even with economics, you have to decide what are you trying to accomplish. And oftentimes, or not we for, we forget that and we want to do pie in the sky. And I'm not saying people should not every. I actually I am. Not everybody needs a house. They just need affordable housing, and that could be whether that be it an apartment, a townhome, or or something that you can rent in a nice community that has access to schools, healthcare, and access to employment, the things that actually make a community. Not everybody should be a homeowner. That is a myth. Um, and if you don't agree with that, you know, and I know a lot of people do not agree with that. And I know that there's there are like systematic problems with that statement where people's but it's not about race for me it's about like the financial if you want to see uh some of the you know disparities in economics change from you know generation to generation don't put people in debt <laughs> so you know uh be realistic about things that happen um so yeah it's time for politics so I, I was actually thinking about housing and the $15 minimum wage, because I'm like, neither one of those solutions that I, I hear about makes sense. I do understand that historically, gener generational wealth has typically started with home ownership. I do understand that historically, but I don't think it's all the time true. Sure. Uh, I mean, there are bad real estate investments, right? Right. And if you don't believe that, I've got some beachfront property, excuse me, waterfront <laughs> property in Florida that I'd love to sell you. Um, yeah, I mean, there are there are plenty of bad real estate investments out there for right. sure. And so, you know, buying a house isn't like buying any house isn't the same as buying the right house. The, the right house, um, right. you know. And I think I think you're absolutely right. Like there's just this mass misconception about property ownership because right. it, I mean, it may not be that you own the home that you live in, right? Maybe you have an investment property somewhere that you own, but where you live is an apartment or a townhome, yeah. you know, that you rent. Like that's, it's in one, on one hand, right? You benefit in home ownership from certain tax write-offs that you get right now from the the potential to build equity in that right. property, right? If you invest in the right area at the right time, 
for essentially doing nothing more than maintaining your house and paying your mortgage, you can grow Good. significant wealth. Like there is an opportunity to do that, but it's not the only way. I mean, right. certainly. And so I'm with you in that. Like, I think affordable housing is not just about providing people with the opportunity to purchase a home, but in ensuring that, you know, or finding some way to, to, align the balance of what the housing options are with what the housing option, what the housing needs are for the community. Yeah. And I think that when you look at um, like even there, even more basic principles of economic, like personal economics is spend less than you earn. Right. So if your housing is more than 25% of your income, you're, you've got a lot of problems. Um, Same thing with a car. So there's a lot of things where, you know, when you look at the broader scope of the problem, especially when it comes to now let's dig into the, the racial disparities of, of economics. Sure. There, there are, there's redlining, there's, you know, predatory loan practice. Yeah, got it. But if more people were able to spend less than they earn, that probably diminishes some of that problem. Um, so then I guess, because you kind of brought it up, the $15 minimum wage, I mean, because I feel like on one hand, right, providing people with a higher wage would, in theory, allow them to make more money than they're spending. But obviously, that also comes with a caveat that certain things are going to also increase in cost. Now, I think most economists acknowledge, right, that a five-year gradual increase from the 725 we're at now to 15 you know, essentially wouldn't cripple the economy, nor would it mean that what you're paying for now would cost twice as much, right? Because even right now, you know, at seven twenty-five an hour, your McDonald's hamburger, you're not, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't, I don't have a, um, like, I don't know where I stand on that argument. I think that my, my reflex is, is frustration because I believe that Number one, the state minimum wage should probably increase before the federal. I think we're waiting around for the federal government to do something that can be done or instituted at the state level. I understand the complexities there. Uh, and then I also get pissed off at the employers. Why are you paying your employees a, a crap wage? Um, but I know it's a very complex problem. So I'm not saying the $15 minimum wage, you know, that's a question I have. Like, right. like for me, if that's the path that most people feel we should go or a good majority of people feel we should go is, is the federal government to get involved in that. Why is that legislation? Where is it? Where has it been? Right. Like, like where's that been for the last, you know, 10 years where this has been a very, he- actually six years, it's been a heavy part of the conversation. Yeah. And you can look at even back into the uh, 2016 primaries where people were talking about minimum wage and, Obviously, nothing's happened then. You know, the Democrats have had the House since 2016 or 2018. Yeah. Uh, and there's no legislation. There's nothing been drafted. Nothing that I've seen or that rings a bell that's even been killed in committee. No, I mean, you basically just have Bernie Sh- Sanders tweeting right. and shouting about it. Right. And so that's that's for me. It's like, you know, my question, I'm confused. I mean, I think it's a good solution. I, I do believe a gradual increase. I don't understand. Um, I don't understand what's been the delay, and I think that the one thing I I probably didn't agree with, and I kind of agree with the parliamentarian. I know people are like, "Oh, we'll just ignore her." 
we need to start getting the practice of having clean bills. Yes. Um, well, and look, you know, people got all that. Well, because even though this is something that the majority of people in America want, we're just going to listen to somebody who says we shouldn't do this. Like when their job is to tell you that what you're doing technically doesn't jive with what the rules are. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I get that there is that, you know, it's like, I think it's on one hand, it's like when a, when a college university like fires a a coach, right. Right. Or, Or any organization fires a coach. Nine times out of ten, what you see is a huge swing in the opposite direction. It was a defensive-minded coach. Now we need an offensive-minded guy. And then right. three years later, they fire the office, offensive guy, and they're like, now we need a defensive-minded guy because our defense right. was crap. And it's like, you know, I completely forgot where I was going with that. Well, That's how good it was. <laughs> here's a uh, here's a here's just a quick sample. I just Googled something. So North Carolina's got a 725 minimum wage in 2020, North Dakota 725, Ohio 870, Oklahoma 725. Those are just four random, and apparently there's, there's more rows. Um, but states can actually make that impact quicker than the federal government. Yeah, Alaska, I mean, isn't the California state minimum wage $15? It's 13. 13, okay. Yeah, uh, Alaska is uh 1019 um Arizona 12 Arkansas 10 Colorado 12 whoa, whoa whoa am i seeing the right thing yeah their their states are making these changes without the federal government's like intervention yeah so my confusion is and where has the, all hope, this legislation been yeah so my confusion is not to be i'm not trying to say um people shouldn't make a fair wage. And I, I want to be very clear in that. I'm just saying, I'm just really stunned that we're waiting around for the federal government to uh, solve that problem. And I think business owners should actually, if we're going to be a democracy that's kind of fueled by a, a free market system, then it needs to be holistic and it needs to you know, make sure that we're really taking care of people. So uh, we're not having these you know, latent discussions as the game's playing, it's yeah. just really weird. We're not United Airlines where the engines fall off the plane or, or we're trying to change them like in flight. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, okay. So I remembered where I was going with my college coach analogy earlier. <laughs> okay. um, basically what it seems like now is you have a lot of people, I won't even say Democrats, but there are, you know, on the left, we'll call it mm-hmm. that, are pissed off because over the last four years and even longer than that, they feel like people like Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump and these other Republican leaders have flaunted the rules and gotten away with it. And so now it's like, well, F the rules, right? If nobody's going to make them play by the rules, then we're not going to play by the rules either. And then, you know, the, the actual elected democratic officials are like, yeah, guys, like we on this side actually think that rules are kind of important. And when the parliamentarian says, hey, technically you can't pass this as part of this budget bill because it doesn't jive with these rules that are set, that Democrats don't go, you know, hang the parliamentarian, (laughs) right? Like this is not – and this is again where I just – you know, like I wonder, can the left – 
keep from eating itself alive while the GOP is in complete disarray. I mean, uh, Josh no. Hawley sold his soul for 0% <laughs> at CPAC. Yeah. Dude, the answer is no. And I, I've been saying this for a while. They're going to have to, they're going to struggle with that, that urge to, um, like, the progressive movement in and of itself is, a, is the actual opposite of the, the extreme right. Movement. Sure, it, it's just the polar opposite, where you have a a a loud part of a group being you know considered as being the the voice of everybody else, um, and I the I don't think they're going to be able to do it. You know, I just I just don't. You know, I'm you with got, you. I there's a there's a gap in just understanding what the end goal is. It's let's try to figure out how do we restabilize things without eating ourselves apart, you know, or eating ourselves up. It's just, it's ridiculous. I, I don't, I don't have a dog in that fight because I, I really want to see that people are able to, I, I want the country to reset. I don't want to pick a side in that. Uh, even with all the crazy stuff coming from the right, I don't want to, I still don't want to say F your emotions. Right. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. Like that's where I keep, I, I'm, I'm with you on that because ultimately I just think like as, as infuriating as it can be at times to take the high road, like you can't start hitting below the belt (laughs) because then literally like you have no room to argue. Like you've lost and that's, you know, it's like people, complaining about going back now and complaining about Al Franken, right? Resigning and being like, what was he thinking? You know, Republicans are never going to resign over something like that. And it's like, yeah, okay. Is that where we're at? That we want our (laughs) politicians to just be as dirty as the other guys? Like, that's where I just think so much is lost in this stupid feud. It's the the Hatfields and the McCoys, right? Like, it doesn't matter what the other side says, Whatever it is that they say is wrong. You know, like you can't like a Republican, an elected Republican official, because then you're the devil. Like, well, I I think that you have the the Kissingers, and I hope I said said his name right. And uh, they're the people that are kind of trying to weather the storm. Uh, I think that, and I also know that the the party of uh, of just you know, blocking everything was the Republicans. They started that and they feel like that's going to keep them where they want to be. Um, and I keep seeing, like, I guess 23 states are probably the same 23 states we were talking about last time. Uh, there are 43 states and probably 23 of them are the ones that were that are going to be the problem that are writing legislation to suppress votes. Um, I think that when it comes to what we're really talking about, it's a question of, morality and ethics and it's not a question of policy it's how how long can i like just ignore any character moment how long can i just be immoral immoral doesn't have to do with like some scandal but it could be just doing the wrong thing Um, and for the party of we are the you know the moral party to to act this way is, is ridiculous for 
the party of like I, what I see as humanity, the Democrats, to act that way is just ridiculous. And it's just, uh, it's, it's, it becomes more of an ethics question than a uh, political question in my mind. Well, so. and unfortunately, ethics is not a required course in the American public education system. Uh, that's that's <laughs> probably, <very good. laughs> probably a good reason for that. <laughs> Is it though? Uh, is it a good reason? Or <laughs> I mean, I understand there might be a reason. I just don't think it's very good. Yeah, you'd be questioning everything. Um, <laughs> it's like collaboration, synergy, thinking outside the box, raising the bar, breaking down silos, shifting the paradigm, disrupting the market, business. So speaking of questioning everything, one of the things that I had uh, wanted to talk about tonight was, and we we almost got into it earlier, and then we kind of veered into politics uh, for a minute. So I hope you don't mind me steering us back just a little bit, but... No, uh, I don't mind at all. So, (laughs) (laughs) like, this whole... We've talked about it before, but it was something that came up recently... Uh, the idea behind like ethics and marketing, right? And mm-hmm. what what role marketers themselves or organizations have to you know ethically and accurately market their products. And the reason that this came up specifically is that as a podcast, right, things that are incredibly valuable to us are listens, uh, listeners, followers, and probably most importantly, ratings and reviews, right? Right. On the different apps and services, if you leave a rate and, you know, uh, if you rate us and review us, then if it's positive, we're more likely to get new listeners because they're going to show our stuff to more people, which is awesome. Um, you know, people like me and Andre, I'd like to think, are trying to go about that very organically and saying like, hey, if you're listening to the podcast right now, please rate us and review us wherever you are. Like, so seriously, if you're listening to the podcast right now, <laughs> please rate us and review us. Um, but the reason that I bring this up is that there was another podcast that I listened to regularly, and they recently introduced a segment, or I guess it's because uh, they do like daily uh, shows, which I can't even imagine. I feel bad for their editor. Um, <laughs> but so they do daily shows once a week, they'll do this mailbag thing, right? Where they basically take questions from the audience and they have a significantly larger audience than we do. Um, they are put on by one of the major networks. I won't say which one. Um, I don't know why, because it's not like anything bad is going to happen, but basically <laughs> what they're doing is in order to collect questions for their mailbag, they, are telling their listeners to go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And in that review, leave their question, and they'll read through all of the five-star reviews that they get and basically assemble the questions and try to get to them as best they can. And so, like, on one hand, my first thought was, well, that's really smart. You're going to generate a shit ton of five-star reviews, And just so that people can get their questions up there. Right. Right. Okay, cool. And then that immediately struck me as, wow, that's like the shadiest thing that you could do (laughs) to try and game the system. And like, you know, I'll be honest, right? Part of me, I think, is sitting here going, if it was a small podcast gaming the system that way, I'd be all for it. But because this is one of the big boy, you know, 
American News Network. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not OAN. I promise. I would never <laughs> listen to that. Um, but yeah, because it's put on by one of them. It's like, well, you guys, you guys have enough audience already. Like what? But obviously, at the same time, I understand that the guys who do this show aren't the you know board of ex, you know executives or whatever board of directors, and so they're not you know reaping all of the benefits of this. But I do feel like it's kind of. It just really made me wonder, like, man, at what point do we like if you're Apple Podcasts, right? And you hear this, wouldn't you be like, hey, guys, uh, no. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I uh, was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about, um, you know, so two things. One, I, I think it's shady. I, it is definitely it's it's very blatantly gaming the system. Right, it's a, it's an algorithm, and you know, that's that's the end of the story. Like, yeah. Now we're gaming. Now you're going to make it harder for the next person to um, come up with some ingenious marketing idea because of what you're now shutting off. And you don't have rules, and you don't have like safeguards until somebody pushes the safeguards or they they go off the rails. Uh, so there you have it. So whoever this podcast is, blah. Thank you. Secondly. I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago about podcasting. I'm like, well, they brought up uh, the the Rogan podcast or some. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I don't hate him. I just think that when you, he had an audience before he started podcasting. It wasn't like he started like from ground zero. Yeah. So yes, although it's amazing that he's able to get these uh, sponsorship deals, it wasn't like it was never going to happen. Right. So yeah. they're, two leagues and it's it's so different than the recording industry or like movies where you have the big labels they have the money the resources the time effort and energy to you know promote their stuff i'd rather do it independent you know sure if we get sponsors someday that's awesome but we did all the hard work but they're not telling us which direction to go yeah that takes us away from our mission yeah so i think ethically it's probably a gray area i think the impact is going to be seen for others and it's going to be a negative impact and i'm just not I, i'm not down with that i think it's wrong i i think for that reason it's wrong um and i think the, that the big players i mean while while they have the ball or they they don't have the ball really i think it's just a matter of the independent podcasters and independent even musicians and whoever else filmmakers it's just we can look in awe of this, of the quote unquote success they have, but how long will it last? You know, they'll be off to the next gimmick in six months. Yeah. I mean, and that's, you know, I think you've seen, especially in music, you know, I like, I think you've seen a big um, rise in the number of independent artists that have become kind of globally famous. Right. Um, the SoundCloud rapper, you know, era uh right i don't know if you watched any of the six nine documentary that they had on youtube or something for a little while i i couldn't help myself i mean (laughs) one of our former co-workers used to talk about takashi six nine all the time and that was the only reason i knew who this person was (laughs) is the only reason i ever would have found out who that person was um but there was an element of it that when I, cause like I went in the whole thing broke that, you know, he was turning and ratting on, you know, yeah. gang members and stuff like that. It was like, 
oh, this is kind of interesting now. Like, I didn't really <laughs> give a shit before, but now I'm kind of like, this dude's going to get murdered. And then he's like, no, I don't want witness protection. I'm going to get back into the rap game. And... I mean, apparently his first album since coming back has totally flopped. Like, I think everybody has moved on, right? Because it's, you know, that flash in the pan. And I mean, ultimately, I think because of the whole image that he was trying to really build, that deciding to rat on a bunch of legitimate gang members really... go over very well. Yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> even people who aren't really, like, gang affiliated are still like... I mean, uh, snitches get I'm stitches. Good. Like yeah. <laughs> we all know that. I tell my kid that. Like, yeah, I, I, uh, I mean, it's. I don't. I mean, I, I don't know how I feel about that. It's like, look, man, do your hustle, right? Everybody's entitled to grind, and and do your best to be the best you can be. Uh, shortcuts, they're shortcuts for a reason, yo. They catch up to you, right? Um, See, and I guess like that's where I'm kind of I'm hopeful that, you know, if say if if Apple Podcasts is who they're targeting, right, and they find out, and they're like, yeah, that's really not cool and not what we're you know trying to do here, that it's not just all right, we're shutting down you know this type of review engagement sort of thing, right, right? or we're going to moderate every single review before it gets published, oh. Yeah, God help you with that one, right? Right, but you know, putting be in place some sort of safeguards, and then like, hey, guess what? We're banning you from Apple Podcasts for a month. You know, right. like you guys, you want to publish your stuff elsewhere? Fine, but you took advantage of our platform in a way that you knew was ultimately deceitful and was going to game the system. And we've decided that we're now whether or not. I mean, app. I, I look. The people think who about back it. this little got, podcast, probably, yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? Think about it. They they've got the cash to put into that. Then everybody's and, zip flopping onto the table, and it's like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> <laughs> sausage party. <laughs> I mean, they got the cash to put into that, and they're gonna. I mean, like, I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and be a hater on that. I'm, but I am gonna say, like, think about what that could potentially do to somebody in the future, and you got to be okay with. Like what's your actions or what you're doing right now, how it may negatively impact. Cause I can tell you as a developer, I'll be straight up with you. The minute I see that being a problem, I'm like, yeah, I need to check that out. Like I literally uh, was looking at some of my own logs and you know, statistics the other day. And I was like, yeah, that could potentially be a problem. So I'm going, I'm circling back and putting some safeguards in my code um, because that's just the way it is. Like when you, when you start playing with somebody's baby and let's say Apple Podcasts is their baby, yeah. they want it to, to work fair for every, every user, not just for the ones that are trying to find a shortcut. So yeah. that's, that's, that's how I look at it. And I think it will definitely negatively impact people in the future. So. I mean, it, I'll be honest, like it's kind of had me wondering whether or not I want to continue listening to the podcast. Yeah. Like at, at this point, I'm kind of like, I mean, I'm, I don't listen enough and they do like live use YouTube streams and stuff like that. So you can get right. involved, you know, in that regard. But I'm just, I've always been like, nah, I'm not, I'm not that interested. It's like when, when I've already listened to all of the Bamani Jones podcasts that I can stand for a while and I need to hear somebody else's voice. This is the one that I, or in between episodes as I'm waiting. <laughs> Thank you.
I think that's how people listen to podcasts. That's how what I do. Like I've kind of been listening to, or my white noise has been like SNL on YouTube. And I've been like laughing and not working. But I mean. <laughs> so much for white noise. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you this. I didn't realize how funny Bill Hader was or Kristen Wiig until I started watching like old clips. I'm like, gosh, they're funny. And on Keenan, they're, they're freaking hilarious. Have um, you watched any of Keenan's new show? Not yet. Me like neither. I, it's on my have, list, but. Yeah. How about guy, Young Rock? Nah, I'm not watching that. Oh, okay. Nope. I'm just telling you, I've watched nope. the first two episodes. It's <laughs> it's so funny. And the reason it's funny, primarily in my opinion. <laughs> so you know the whole premise behind it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Randall Park is the guy that's playing like the interviewer, and he's right. always doing the interview. And so their interactions are what sell this whole show for me. Really? Like those little moments, the rest of it is good. Like, I think they actually <laughs> did a really good job. Like the, the guy that they got to play him as a teenager looks just like him. Like wow. as, as I imagine he looked as a teenager. Um, right. And then like the guy that they got to play his dad is great. The whole way that he talks about his dad and the portrayal of his dad, is, I find really interesting because it's like, on one hand, his dad was the, you know, in his eyes was this hero. Larger you know? than life, yeah. But on the other hand, like his dad made decisions in their lives that made things significantly harder for them and also went out of his way to kind of oversell what it was that he was doing in that moment or, you know, like that right. sort of thing. And so it's interesting to see that obviously from his perspective and kind of how he allows them to portray his dad who he obviously cares a lot about but still wanting to be somewhat honest in at least his you know version of how he kind of perceived things at the time so and it's not that i don't want to watch those two shows it's just that like i've been super busy um and it's like if i start if i invest in another show i'm probably going to lose like 45 minutes here or there <laughs> yeah and i'm like i just can't afford to do that right now so I mean, hopefully that's, that's fair like I did catch up on uh, WandaVision. Like I actually not catch up. I've been I've been watching it like early Friday morning. Um, and I'll tell you what the last two episodes made me really enjoy the show. Like See, I didn't like the, I didn't like the pace of it at first. I was like, oh, this is boring. I really don't care. None of this is boring. I mean, none of this is interesting to me. Yeah. The last two episodes, I'm like, I could have just started here, and I would have <laughs> been, been fine. <laughs> yeah, and like Twitter, my Twitter feed has just been filled with WandaVision, you know, like comments and stuff. And fortunately no spoilers because I don't follow people that post spoilers. <laughs> um, but I just, I don't know. Like I love Paul Bettany. Mm -hmm. I don't really care for the non twin Olsen. Um, <laughs> the not twin. Yeah. She's the not twin. <laughs> I like her more than the twins, but that's all another topic. I mean, I like I I guess I don't love the twins either. I, like they the whole full house thing. Yeah. But anyways, I digress. Um yeah, I don't know. Like I I was really excited for WandaVision when I first saw the trailers and then it came out and it wasn't even that I like I was like, "Well, no, I don't want to watch it." But it just hasn't been at the top of my like, "Man, I've really got to get around to watching WandaVision." 
list and i don't I don't, it's I, the it's the audience they're looking for like I, i'm the i'm the ideal audience but they almost lost me but i hung on because i know that all these stories are interwoven so are and you saying that i am not the target audience you're not i don't i mean i think that show is for the comic book kids like i okay. really think that um that one's kind of like the house of m was a great storyline uh and i don't think they're doing a lot to kind of catch people up to speed with the the source material if i'm being honest like for me that's why it was kind of boring at the same time because i'm expecting to see other things happen okay. um i mean I, and, and i guess that makes sense from a comic book fans standpoint you know yeah and the um, pace of the show has not been great and on top of that there's been way too many easter eggs so you literally spend like a week like making up theories in your head of like oh what are they gonna do how are they gonna do this or and it's just does any it, of it pay off ultimately or uh, kind of it's like okay. a, there's some good paybacks i mean so it's like well okay i i get it but i'm telling you the last two episodes have been like all right now i can rock with this show because it just didn't make it makes sense the writers did a really good job i i think i had unrealistic expectations at some point in the in the series like i thought it was going too slow yeah. Um, and uh, that's that has been the primary critique that I have heard, you know, is people kind of feeling like it's a little slow. And then same thing, like the last couple of weeks, the the opinion is like, wow, holy cow, these new episodes yeah. are like, I can't believe they just did that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm sure that I will tune in at some point. Um, it just has not been for whatever reason, has not made it towards the top of my list so far. You know what I did watch the other day? Speaking of comic books. Polar? Oh, is that good? Oh, man. Like... Yeah, okay. Okay, so Mads Mikkelsen, right? And he's the sniper. He's an assassin. Um, Basically, the the story is that this assassin, or hitman company, um, forces people into retirement at age 50. But... They and they get this big, you know, the company matches basically all of the money that they've saved away at this point. Right. Um, and so in order to recoup this money before they retire, you know, they're, you know, mysteriously getting killed off. Um, <laughs> can, I'm sure you, most people can put two and two together to figure out who it is that's doing that. But uh, it's based on a graphic novel series, a Dark Horse graphic novel series. And the whole, like, I mean, it has a very, like, as we were watching it, Christy was like, is this a European film? This feels more like a European film than, like, your traditional American, you know, action movie. And sure enough, like, the director, I think, is Dutch, um, you know, or Norwegian or something like that. And so uh, it certainly has that flavor to it yeah. yeah like things are much more methodical in the way that they build there's a lot of kind of downtime but the tension i feel like paid off so well in that movie like just was really well done um you know i watched the uh second girl with a dragon tattoo yeah. i've been trying to find the first one I, I haven't found it yet but that's kind of like i passed on the first one i just wasn't really into it um, and I read that I watched the second one. I was like, this is a really good movie. Um, and I think European directors have a flair of storytelling that it's kind of lost 
like I know that people like to say that uh, what is his name Gunn James Gunn yeah is that type of director I don't see it no um, I mean look I like James Gunn and the work that he's done with like the Guardians of the Galaxy series and some of that stuff yeah. like I mean I think he's done okay like you know I'm not um, but no I would not ascribe that type of storytelling to him like I just I think it's really difficult in a lot of ways for for whatever reason I think a lot of it is because of the the demand for money you know like I feel right. like the the American film industry is so dollar driven that decisions get made that ultimately are made at like the you know executive level and it's like yeah. those people should not have a hand in what and you know who's acting in this or what scenes are yeah. getting cut sort of deal I think Matt Reeves, uh, the Batman, is going to be probably in that same category of like just good because it's a fresh eye and like the trailers look amazing. Uh, and and let me be careful because normally when I see a lot of trailers, the movie sucks. Yeah. Or or I'm just underwhelmed. I'm like, oh, that was a waste of you know twelve bucks. Um, the trailers for the Batman look like there was a lot of thought put into the story and the overall direction of the movie. Uh, so I'm excited to see that. And I'm not so I'm on the fence about the Snyder cut of the Justice League. Uh, because I don't know Jack or you know, Jack Snyder. Zach. Zach, Jack, Zach, whatever. Um, I just think I don't care that much. I want to see it because again, I, I'm probably gonna watch any comic book movie you put out there. Uh, I just don't think that he has a good eye for the uh, comic genre. Yeah. I mean, did you like any of the Superman no. movies that he did? No. Superman versus Batman? No, that was awful. Yeah. I mean, like, so it was funny because the other night I, I called him Jack. You did. <laughs> I shouldn't have corrected you. Um, what was it? We were doing something. I think it was after we watched Polar. Like we put on, it was like an hour of movie trailers. Right. You oh, know, yeah. I watch those on YouTube all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I got. OK, so for, for I'll finish up this thought before I diverge into what I'm sure is going to be a total <laughs> thing that we did not plan to talk about on this podcast. But um, there was the trailer for the Zack Snyder cut and I'm sitting there watching it and I'm like, what is this? You know, and then it, I'm like. I, didn't this movie already come out? Like I thought Ben Affleck was done being Batman, you know, like, right. and then it's the Snyder cut. And I'm like, you've got, they have a trailer just for his cut. And they I cut know out. that people made a huge deal about it when the movie came out that, Oh, they cut all this out of the movie. I, I hate to tell you, but unless you were just a huge DC movie comic verse nerd, you're not going to like this any better. Like, it's just I, not. I, I would disagree from the trailers. I, I okay. kid you not. I think that the the things that were cut out from what I've read make this the movie make more sense. I mean, I'm not, I'm not. So that's that's where I would argue. So maybe I never saw was... the movie in the first place because I'm okay. just, I've never been. A, Zack Snyder is not really like my type of movie director. I haven't generally enjoyed or found his movies to be that just, 
It's just not my my aesthetic. You like, know, I'll tell you what. Ever since I started working with you, like I used to not care about the director of the movie. I just care if the movie was good or not. Uh, <laughs> like now, like, I got to up my director game, man. Like I'm like, oh, I don't, all right. So this guy's got like a freaking portfolio of movies that I've not watched, and he can he links them all. I think you have a a board in your room with like directors <laughs> and strength. So. <laughs> Yeah, but I hide it over here on the wall. You can't see. Oh, I'm like, how does he know all that crap, man? No, so. I mean, so I, I think we've talked about it before um, a little bit, but A, I've just been a huge nerd when it comes to pop culture stuff. Like my right. parents raised me on The Simpsons since I was like seven <laughs> years old. It was our Thursday night tradition. We would always like power through dinner so we could sit down and watch it together. <laughs> then when it moved to Sundays, we were like, oh my God, what are we going to do? And we we're like, well, we're going to watch it on Sunday nights. Um but yeah, and that that started it though, you know, because yeah. the Simpsons had so many pop culture references that they made themselves that it's like even things that occurred prior to my generation or like that that occurred not while I was necessarily like you know old enough to really remember and experience it because Simpsons right. made a reference to it. You go research it, right? Or or just <laughs> you know it was like over time I started to understand what that reference ultimately meant, but so because you'd be sitting somewhere and just start laughing hysterically. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so what this ultimately led to was that in high school, my friends and I, and I say my friends, the former band members and I would go to like McDonald's or Taco Bell. And while we're standing there in line waiting to get our food, we would play this game, which is basically uh, the what seven steps to Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Right. Where you'd, you'd start anywhere and by naming movies and actors that were in them and then subsequent movies that they were in with other actors, you can get to Kevin Bacon. Well, we would play this game without an end, like just to see if we could keep naming another actor in that movie <laughs> and then another movie that that actor was in. And That's it would so just go around the circle. And so that was a big part of it was that, like, it was required knowledge to, <laughs> you know, like win this game at any point even though there wasn't really a winner but it was basically like yeah. if you could name a movie that the person after you could not name an actor in or vice versa oh like <laughs> but yeah, the key is you had to be able to to answer that question too it couldn't be like well i have no idea who else is in that movie because then there's there's no way for you to back it up i i did different things yeah i'm <laughs> sure i mean that's some white people shit right there i'm well aware but yeah like ultimately it just led me to this i guess like no I but i'll tell you what there's an appreciation like i can say honestly christopher nolan is one of my favorite directors yeah right because he did a great job with his batman trilogy um memento and yeah, that was that's another. There's a lot that's of that's another of his like, movies. Yes, Chris, thank you. I was I I said yes. And I know. I, I know. I was trying to. I, you I was trying being, to move on. I I know you were. I was just playing the game. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. Like, we're not gonna do this. Guy like, Pierce, Iron Man I'll, three, Robert Downey Jr. All right, we're not doing this because. Um, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Val Kilmer. <laughs> Top Gun. Tom Cruise. <laughs> Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's probably fun for Mission like Impossible. Ving Rames, <laughs> Long Green Mile. <laughs> I got he one. wasn't in that. Who was it? That oh, was, Duncan. That was uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Michael, I would I would suck. <laughs> now, now you've ruined my trip to McDonald's. Um, what was I saying? I don't know. <laughs> Christopher up. Nolan. Yeah, he's a he's a yes. great director. You have an appreciation for directors now. Yeah. Um, not what, and it is look, it's one of those things. 
I I noticed this uh, uh, like a year or two ago where there are almost all of the shows that I really love, the shows that I will watch on repeat for years um, have apparently like are very interconnected in terms of the people who have worked on them. So um, Bill, no, it's not uh, Michael Dotrieve. I think it is worked on King of the Hill. He's worked on Bob's burgers. Like it's one of those things where it's just like, I keep seeing these names show up in the credits over and over again. And over time, like you start to recognize it and you're like, holy crap, this person has literally been involved in like, like the office, Greg Daniels, right? Like he's one of those guys, Parks and Rec. Like you name right. a great NBC comedy, Greg Daniels has essentially written it. Worked on King of the Hill, by the way. Like Mike okay. Judge came up with the characters and Greg Daniels literally was like, this is the story we're going to tell. So you're the demographic, right? So you're basically like, think about it. Marketers spend time and writers, well, I don't know if writers do the same thing, but they may have a certain style, but the, you know, the producers are gonna be like, well, so how do we get this team together? What's our demo? You know, what time slot are we trying to fill? And they've got you, you know, like pinned down. Um, Yeah. In a lot of cases. That's where like you look at the content on HBO max and, and, uh, and Disney, like that's where it's the same thing, you know? So you're, you're going to find those like differences of which audience you're not the target audience, obviously, for WandaVision. You'll eventually watch it because yeah. you will, right? You'll watch right, it. Because I've invested as much into the Marvel universe as I have already. Right. But I'm going to sit there and be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to power through this show. Like I didn't like the Mandalorian. Like there's nothing that anybody can say that makes me say that's a fantastic Star Wars story. But didn't you I mean, like love the last two episodes of the last season or something? Uh, I, I think it kind of got to a point. <laughs> so I could say it was like, all right. And I, it was okay. Like there was more action and, and but it's like this, the story doesn't like, I'm not impressed. I don't want to, that story basically. Like I'm not the demo for that, for that show. I'm going to watch it because I'm a sci-fi person, but I'm not going to re- really be like, I'm going to watch it again. I might watch WandaVision again and see if there's things I missed. Um, yeah. That's all I'm saying. No, I mean, that makes sense. Like I, I hear you on that. Um, I will say I am 100% the demographic for the new Ghostbusters movie. Oh, I'm watching that. That looks dope. Like we were sitting there, we're watching all these trailers, right? And all of a sudden that one comes on and, you know, it's like, it's not super obvious that it's Ghostbusters at first, but then the moment that like the green gas escapes from the pit, I was like, holy shit. And Christy's like, what? Like, she thought something was wrong. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm like pounding the bed because I'm so excited. And she was like, like a four-year-old. Do you know what this is? And she's like, no. And I'm like, it's the new Ghostbusters. Like, yeah, seriously. Like a fucking four-year-old. And I was just giddy. Like, oh, 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 oh look at that. I, look at that. Like, I watch trailers on YouTube, like, way too much. Like, that's white noise. And if I hear, a, like, a... Part of the trailer that sounds interesting, I'll actually watch the whole trailer, yeah. which it's kind of fun because it kind of says, okay, this movie might be good and blah, blah, blah. Um, like I watched Monster Hunter. I don't recommend anybody. Actually, it's based on a video game. I've never played the video game. Not a good story at all. If you don't know the video game. <laughs> like I was like, yeah, everybody should be dead right now. Like, right now. Everybody- <laughs> 
<laughs> That's so. true of most movies. <laughs> oh man. But anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I'm seeing that the Knicks are doing really well. It's probably because they got rid of Dennis Smith Jr. That's probably factual. I don't but know if you saw, but he had one hell of a dunk the other night for Detroit. I know like you don't watch the Pistons because nobody yeah. watches the Pistons. Why, but why would I do that? Yeah. Uh, that was like, I've often, I mean, the question is asked, I think, fairly often of NC State fans where it's like, you know, was the one year of Dennis Smith Jr. worth all of the potential NCAA trouble because of the whole like Adidas investigation that the FBI was doing that he is mentioned in and uh, supposedly associated with. And for the most part, the answer is no, uh, because they didn't even make the tournament this year, that year. And they were terrible <laughs> at the end of it. Mark Gottfried got fired. Um, so on the other hand, it's kind of like, yeah, I uh, love it. You know, got Mark Gottfried fired. Um, he did like he is probably one of the hardest dunkers. Like he is just angry at the rim for some reason. I don't know what the rim said or did, <laughs> but that dude just wants to break a backboard. Like it just seems like that's his deal. And I, you know, like I wish that the rest of his game rounded out so that he could be a, you know, I guess like a, you know, a more popular star because I think like some of those moments are really freaking cool to watch, but he's got so well, many plays in between where it's like, Ugh. I think that like with the NBA, I'm trying to, you know, well, actually I'm, this is the worst time for me right now. Like I have a deadline at the end of this month and it's like, um, so my personal time is kind of getting slimmed down, but I am very interested to see what happens this season. I think the playoffs are going to be a lot different. Um, and I, I'm kind of getting the feeling that LA, I mean, the Lakers are going to win again. I'm being super honest. Yeah. Uh, uh I mean, like, I feel like it's kind of one of those who else has made moves to be better than them. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could argue Brooklyn if you think that Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden can figure out how to win a playoff series. Like, that's where I'm with you that I just think ultimately, I mean, to some degree, it's kind of like, it's just like LeBron's been there and done it so much. Why would you bet against anybody else at this point? Uh, you don't. Uh, and I think even though Harden had a, a triple double again, and like, I, I think he's an amazing player. I'm just yeah. like, I, I just don't see the formulas. And I, I think the Knicks can have a really strong season. Um, I just feel like the Lakers are going to win again. Like <laughs> that's my guts like, and back to the West coast for that ring. Um, yeah. And I've been trying to pay attention to the trades. I just don't care. Like I just don't, I just don't care. I, I think that the NBA is missing something right now and it has nothing to do with COVID. It's just that the gameplay is not, and this is just my opinion. It's not as exciting. I tried to watch a couple games uh, last week and I just got bored. Uh, and it could be, actually, I think it might be partially COVID. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's the same for me. Um, yeah, I, you know, I will say that I, I agree that I think the, for whatever reason, the indoor sports, it seemed like we miss the crowd more than yeah. like in football, you know, I, even in, in football, the, you rarely, you rarely see the crowd. Yeah. It's a fun being honest. I mean, you're not wrong. Um, 
And I think that that is part of it. It just, because I feel like in, in basketball and in hockey, like those momentum swings are so quick, you know, like everything happens. So bam, bam, bam. There's not the downtime in between plays like there is in football that the crowd energy provides so much of the ultimate, the atmosphere, right? And there's an element of that in football too, but I just don't think that you recognize the absence of it as much. And so, yeah, like even watching a little bit, like I've barely watched any college basketball this year. First off, because I can't if I'm NC State, you know, like if if it's an NC State game, I can't watch it. Um, And second, because it's just like the little bit that I have watched it's like watching a preseason exhibition game, you know, or like yeah. a game in the Bahamas where no, like it's a 3 a.m. tip off, you know, yeah. it's like there's nobody there. There's no energy. It just feels very cavernous, you know, because of like the echoes and everything. And I mean, Carolina's having a good season um, and it's I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just on the fence again about sports and I hope that we get things kind of back to normal because my plans have all been screwed up with sports again. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, I'm glad to see Carolina's having a good season um, except for the loss to Syracuse. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to see the Knicks are, are doing pretty well. I don't know how long they can keep that up, but um, it seems like they put a lot of good pieces in play. I think they have a playoff like destination and that's about it. But I do think the Lakers are going to win. So that's yeah. where I'm at with sports. I'll, and I've been I'll, trying to watch baseball, but man, I I got so much stuff to do. I just I'm uh, priorities. I guess that's that's what it boils down to. Priorities. I just I don't know. Like at this point, I don't I don't watch a ton of sports. But right. if you were going to tell, if you asked me to pick up a new sport that I was going to watch, which would basically be baseball or hockey. I would take hockey all day long. And I'm sorry. I know you're a big baseball fan. Yeah. I just cannot (laughs) get into baseball. I don't know if it was just like my experience playing baseball growing up or what, but I've just like, I, you know, I love going to a game in person. I'll go like a Durham bulls game or something like that. I love it. You know, it's fun. You're in person. It's, It's more about the atmosphere and the excitement and, sharing it with friends and whatnot than it is anything else. But I, I mean, you, I don't think you could pay me to watch a baseball game on TV. Like it'd be hard pressed. Yeah. And I I guess it goes down. You're right. It's probably your taste or or your, and your experience with the sport. Like I, I enjoy baseball. Um, And I know that some people just don't like it, but um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I I, I like, it's like, we're both sports guys. It's kind of like, and I think I, I've watched hockey games. I've watched them live. I, I try to watch them on television. They've got a long season also. It's like, gosh, I, I, I can't, do. I don't have to watch every game. I think, <laughs> and that's, you know, like uh, <laughs> hockey, the NBA and baseball. The, that's my three biggest, or it's the one complaint I have with all three of them is it's like, right. you got too many freaking games. I can't, you can't really expect me to be engaged for every single game that, that, that the team that I'm going to follow plays, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, where you're never really going to get them to drop the number of games because of the television dollars and the ticket revenue. And it's the same thing in the NFL. Like they're only going to look at adding more games and eventually they will add more games simply because they're going to want more money. Right. And they will continue to add more games until they can't make more money off of it is essentially what it's going to boil down to. Yeah. 
sports. I love sports. <laughs> I just, so go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's just been really hard to to be invested 100% with COVID. It has been. I agree. Um, you know, like I've been trying to kind of I think I've been more invested in the like NFL offseason if only because of these ridiculous Russell Wilson like rumors slash statements slash you know uh petulant childing i guess is what it kind of seems like to me on on one hand he's not going anywhere i mean he's not like there's absolutely no way that he's leaving seattle he can go to denver well so that's what i was gonna ask would you take russell wilson over drew lock yeah okay so you you would trade that's that's five seasons of good like a good qb okay but you wouldn't take Deshaun Watson. No. So you still haven't changed your opinion on that. No. So you I, think, I think Russell that, Wilson is that much better than Deshaun Watson. And I think as far as experience goes, he would adapt quicker. I can see that. I mean, I think yeah. he has proven that so far in his career. Yeah. And this is not a dig on Deshaun. No, okay. I know. It's just like. I can more than likely get to the playoffs. There's an 80% chance that the Broncos go to the playoffs with Drew Locke next season. If you bring in a Russell Wilson, there is a 95% chance, 95, 97% chance they go to the playoffs. I think he's missed the playoffs once since he's been in the league. Well, there you go. Yeah. So, um, and this is just like a, I, I think Denver needs consistency. I don't think they need to try to reinvest in a QB right now. I think that, would be a bad play. So. so as much as you would take Russell Wilson over Drew Locke, you don't think that that's what the Broncos should do right now. I do not. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think Drew Locke like long-term is at least seven, 10 years. Like in my opinion, like I think before he, he probably... is good. <laughs> no, but... <laughs> <laughs> He was he was pretty close to being. I good know. This year. I'm just. Um, I think he's seven to tier, ten years of consistency. Okay. They're going to start to run into salary cap problems with sure. uh, uh, a lot of their franchise tag players. Uh, they're you know if they don't mess up the with the receivers, they're in, in good shape. Uh, I I think Philip Lindsay should get more starts than Melvin Gordon next year. Um, yeah. And I know that part of that was was injuries, but I also remember that. There's a lot of times early in the season that Gordon was starting. I didn't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I agree with you on that. Like I, I watched Melvin Gordon as a quote unquote workhorse, you know, running back in San Diego slash LA under Anthony Lynn. And while he was a good running back, um, you know, he had his limitations ultimately. Yeah. And I think that Philip Lindsay showed, more variety in his ability and more consistency ultimately and what he was able to do. He dropped a few balls and that's okay. Uh, And that's been an issue I've had with him. Like, all right, dude, you gotta, you gotta hold those in the catch. I mean, you're not trying to, you know, catch and then run straight out all the time. Uh, You got to hold the ball and just take the hit. Uh, But I do think Philip Lindsay, and it's not a dig on Melvin. It's just that, dude, you gotta, it's not your spot. Like, uh, uh, and LA slash San Diego had a different run game than Denver. Yeah. So 
Yeah, because Denver always employs that run blocking scheme, don't they? Yeah. It's just yeah. so weird that like the organization is like, we don't care who the coach is, what the offensive scheme is. Our offensive line will always use zone blocking. Like, <laughs> I've never understood how that's a thing. But but it works for some reason. And uh, it I'm, does in certain situations and with the right players. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think Tom Cable, who was the offensive line coach for the Seattle Seahawks for a while there, also employed the right. zone blocking scheme. Um, to the uh, detriment and madness of many at a Seahawks fan, because they were just like, why would you create this ridiculously complicated system instead of just having something that your guys can actually understand? Because well, it, it was, it, it matters with the speed. You look at Terrell Davis, you look at a, um, like, I I'll be honest. I don't think the Seahawks have ever had a fast running back. They've had good running backs. I yeah. don't think fast is in that, that description. Uh, yeah, I would say you're probably, I mean, consistently, yes, you're right. Right. Absolutely. Um, I would say that, and this is why I'm, I'm kind of cautious about saying anything about Melvin Gordon, because he is fast, mm -hmm. He's fast and strong, but there's something that's off about his game. Yep. In Denver. Uh, and I don't, I can't really like, you know, like place it, but it's like, there's something off. Even when he was at his best in with the Chargers. There was something to me that said this guy is not a long-term right. running back solution, right? He wasn't right. the first-round pick that you spent on him, ultimately. Right. Um, right. And I get, you know, like, I I don't know. I understand to a certain extent why they picked him. You know, like, they had they drafted Ryan Matthews to replace LaDainian Tomlinson. and he never was going to be that. That was stupid to do that to say right. we have to go find our star running back because Ladanian Tomlinson we let him go and that was all AJ Smith who yeah. I can't And stand. that was a stupid decision. Yeah. Um Yeah, so I I don't know. Like I watched I was watching some uh, Tyreek Hill tapes and he's dangerous. <laughs> like yeah. He's, He's like ridiculously dangerous. I'm like, I didn't realize until I started watching tapes. I'm like, yo, he should never be able to touch the ball. I mean, it was him and Travis Kelsey that were getting double teamed on every, almost every single offensive snap in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Because that's about the only way that you can really slow him down is to bracket and, him. And you're not even slowing him down. You're just no, agitating him. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're hoping that. <laughs> You yeah, you're like I'm gonna just literally tell everybody on the team go defend Tariq Hill and let the other players go make plays. Yeah, it's like wow, he's he's dangerous. I, I really you know I, I gained a new appreciation for uh, Kelsey. I was like oh, I need to apologize to him publicly because uh, I feel bad because I he's really good. Uh, so Mr. Kelsey, if you're listening, hats off to you, man. Like you're dope. Um, so I've been he sitting here thinking like with this whole Russell Wilson thing, where would I like to see him end up? Because I'm not a Seahawks fan, you know, like I'm right. a Seahawks fan because Russell Wilson is there. Just like I was a Chargers fan because Phillip Rivers was there. And the moment he was gone, I burned my, no, I still have my jerseys. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, it's like, I've been sitting here thinking, do I want him to stay in Seattle or is there somewhere else that I think could be a good fit? I really don't like the idea of him going to New Orleans because I feel like Sean Payton is a grossly overrated head coach and like this offensive guru with Drew Brees. Like, yeah, Drew Brees is a ridiculously good and accurate quarterback. Fits. Maybe, maybe, you know, um, what uh, the Raiders Las Vegas is another place that they've 
because John Gruden absolutely loves Russell Wilson, and they're not completely sold on Derek Carr. And the thought is that Pete Carroll might look at Derek Carr and say, hand the ball off 50 times a game. You know, like, that's the theory. That's part of the idea that there's this rift between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, is that Pete Carroll's this, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, I want to establish the run in 2021 and play good defense. And Russell is like, I want to go win an MVP while also leading our team to the Super Bowl. Okay. I see that. I now those are two good choices, but I think he fits better in new Orleans. Um, I feel like new Orleans is probably better positioned as a team. And they, he's got better protection in New Orleans than he does in uh in Vegas. In Vegas. Yeah. Um, the other options that he put out were the Bears, which I really don't understand. That makes no sense to me whatsoever, unless he's like, well, Matt Nagy was the offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes, and that's the kind of offense I want to be a part of. But that has been nothing like what they've tried to run in Chicago. Granted, they've tried to run it with Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles, right. or not Russell Wilson. So maybe there's something there. Um, the fourth one, I'm trying to remember who it was now, because there were four teams, Chicago, New Orleans, Vegas, Vegas, the Giants. No, <laughs> no. Cause it was like all places that didn't have quarterbacks more or less, you know, or like where the quarterback situation was kind of like mm. up in the air. Yeah. I don't remember who the fourth one was. It obviously wasn't anybody that important. Um, I heard well, the I've, Jets thrown out at one point. I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He doesn't fit there. No. It's kind of like a, I was reading an article today that Dak Prescott wants like money close enough to Mahomes. I was like, my dude, you got to stay healthy, bro. Well, and, he does. But I think, I mean, a lot of it is positioning, right? I want Mahomes money, meaning... I want you to offer me ten million less than what Mahomes is making, or twenty million less. Is I, he worth it? I don't know. I mean, it, it, look, is he worth it to the Cowboys? Is what it really comes down to, right? Because they're the ones who are going to give him that money. I don't think anybody else is lining up for the Dak Prescott lottery. Yeah. But um, look, I think Dak's a good QB. I think he's played better than the second round draft pick that they took him as, but. I don't know that he's shown enough at this point that you invest multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. The problem is Dallas has now essentially put themselves in the same situation, potentially, that Washington found themselves in with Kirk Cousins, where it's like, you're just going to keep franchising ta franchise tagging this guy every year because you can't come to an agreement because you didn't make the deal when you should have the first time around. If you'd have done the deal last year, before the season started, you save yourself $20 million a year, probably. Like, that's the... So <laughs> if you're going to give Dak what Dak wants to sign a long-term deal. But I mean, Dak doesn't have to stay there. He doesn't, and... He's he, not... He's, he's that's saying, the whole thing is that Dak has the leverage over the Cowboys in my mind. And he's not, he's not the same QB as Mahomes. But it doesn't matter because it, he's the he is the starter for the Cowboys. It's I I know I'm just like I'm I'm, I'm just with you. He's not. I mean this, but it's you know it's this whole it's how I'm the not stupid even, money not, game gets played in the NFL, right? I'm not even digging on him because he's a good court. I yeah. I struggle to give him his props because 
he's no different than RG3 to me. Like there's all these breakout quarterbacks. They're all, every single one of them, every single one of them is the same story every season two, season three. People find themselves making excuses for them. What are we going to find about Patrick Mahomes is coming here, right? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not saying that Patrick Mahomes didn't play good last year, but he wasn't the Patrick Mahomes of the year before, right? And dude lost a Super only, Bowl. He looked thing really pedestrian in that Super Bowl. The only thing he's got going for him was he went back for the chance at a Super Bowl. That's the only thing he's got going for him. Sure. You Russell can, Wilson did the same thing, right? First three I, I years. Know. Won a Super I, Bowl I, and went back. No, I, I mean, I'm with you. Like, hasn't been back since, right? Right. I mean, hasn't even been to the NFC Championship game since. That's that's my frustration. It's like, I get it with the breakout quarterbacks. But I'm so over that. It, well, and on top it, of that, the fact that sorry, I got really quiet there because I realized I, I was sure getting whispered. very animated. <laughs> the fact that wins are almost exclusively tied to a quarterback and a coach, right? Like associating wins with a coach, sure, makes sense. You're making all of these kind of like game plan decisions and in-game decisions, and yes, you have quarterbacks who are making in-game decisions. Every player is, but that's just it. Is every player is making those decisions, right? Like. A quarterback could be the guy that ultimately won you the game, or maybe he's not. Like, maybe you won in spite of him, right? But sitting there and saying, well, yeah, I mean, like, because that's one of the stats that gets thrown out about Russell Wilson all the time is like, he's, you know, the winningest quarterback in the first four years, five years, six seasons, like all this stuff. And it's like, great. What does it really mean, like, in terms of his success as a player, right? Like, and, I don't know. I go back and forth because football is very much a team sport. We also track individual stats, right? And like, here's the, here's the problem. You you throw that whole theory out the window with Tom Brady. Now, if we're gonna say we're gonna take that same statement and we're gonna you know make it a blanket statement, which seems to be the the norm. Are we gonna knit or crochet this blanket statement? We're gonna we're gonna try to knit it together. It's a blanket. It's a it's a quilt <laughs> statement. <laughs> But the only person that makes that statement or that that theory true is Tom Brady. Now, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, yeah, but when I look at the O-line of the Bucks, there's a lot of people that got kind of – they probably got on that team kind of cheap, but they're good players. Yeah. I mean, their center, Ted Larson. <clears throat> yeah. Former NC State player, by the way. <laughs> I know that. I was, I was <laughs> You like, were waiting. You've been waiting like, since the Super Bowl for me to point it out. <laughs> So NC you, State wins another Super Bowl. <laughs> but you see my point? Like you, you could probably make that you could make that argument with Tom Brady yeah. any day. But then you also have to acknowledge the fact that the Bucks team was designed to win a Super Bowl. I mean, as were a lot of those Patriots teams, right? Like yeah. A lot of it, I mean, at times it was Tom taking a little bit less money, right? Peyton Manning used right. to do the same thing. A lot of the really good quarterbacks, especially as they get along in their age are like, yeah, I mean, if I've done, if they've done right and invested their money over time, they're not playing on their, they're not living off of their paychecks. Right. Right. And so ultimately what that allows them to do is say, okay, I'll take a little bit less money because it doesn't matter as much to me now so that you can pay other players on the team. Right. Right. This whole JJ Watt going to Arizona, $31 million what (laughs) (laughs) two years 31 million dollars i when i saw that i was like 
did somebody fall down the stairs and just agree to that? So I, you're going to hate me for this. The general manager in Arizona, Steve Keim, former NC State graduate. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't own a calculator. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, has not been great at drafting players over the years, but uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I it wasn't the team I expected him to go to. I think the connection with DeAndre Hopkins makes a little bit of sense because I think he's, they had a good he's relationship. Close he's close to home. It's close to home. That's where I think a lot of people were confused, right? Because there was this – it's the same thing they do all the time in sports where it's, you know, uh, so-and-so's hometown has a team. That must be where he wants to go play. How do you know that? If that team really freaking sucks or they're not going to pay him any money, why on earth would he right. want to go there? You know, like I grew up in was- Sacramento. If I was a basketball player, I wouldn't be like, send me to the Kings. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, at this age, at this stage in his career, it probably plays a part, right? He just he's got a young a, a young family now, right? He's yes, like two kids, I believe. Yeah, I think. And One I mean, look, kids. the guy has spent what the last twelve years, ten, eleven ten years, years ten, yeah, yeah, ten or eleven years in, in Houston. Houston, right? He's yeah. not gonna go to Green Bay, Wisconsin, or right. Buffalo, New York, or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and play eight games in frigid cold weather. Why would you force yourself to do that? And I mean, the truth of the matter is, as much as I don't necessarily feel like Arizona is like a J.J. Watt away from going to the Super Bowl, I mean, like they got a young quarterback who they're not paying a ton of money to. They've got now a pretty decent duo on the defensive line with Watt, if he can stay healthy, and Chandler Jones. They've got some other pieces at linebacker. They, I mean, Patrick Peterson, we see what they do with him in the offseason. I don't know. I mean, like they, they, I feel like outside of, you know, like the Bucks repeating and the Chiefs, like the Cardinals are probably in that next group yeah. of they're eight not to wrong 10 teams. By, they're not wrong by making the deal, if I'm being honest. It's kind of like I could see that. I can see the plus, not just the money, but being close to home. Like yeah. if I'm being honest, if I'm his age and I'm like, yeah, I'm probably bowing out in three to five, I don't want to spend like, at least two of those years or three of those years away from my family. Well, and you look at, I mean, Uh, like Arizona is very popular with retirement people. Right. I mean, so, you know, Kurt Warner, uh, retired in Arizona, uh, Emmett Smith retired in Arizona. Um, (laughs) Charles Barkley, Charles Barkley. Well, (laughs) yeah. Did he? No, I thought he retired in uh, Houston. Didn't he? No, I think he's in uh, Scottsdale. Oh, well, he lives there. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought you meant like professional. Oh, like a team. I'm thinking like I I'm went like, to. No, that dude played for the Rockets at one point <laughs> went, when he was chasing went, a ring. I would totally like just retire. But that was the whole thing was everybody was like, oh, he's going to go. He's chasing a ring, right? He's going to basically go no, play for cheap so he can go win a championship somewhere. And I don't I don't think that's true. Yeah. I think he's there's probably more of the person like, you know, you can say people are playing for the money, which is not wrong. But I think there's some more, more personal decisions when it comes down to that stuff. And and I, I agree. We we can't make these guys more than what they are. They're human beings, right? Yeah. Like I, well, I mean, yes. At the end of the day, right? He's got to get in bed and lay next to his wife. And so the decision he makes is one that she ultimately needs to be okay with as well. And yeah. As much Green as Bay. 
<laughs> I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like everybody will always oh, from Wisconsin. He's going to go home to play in Wisconsin. Oh, his brothers both play in, you know, Pittsburgh. He's going to want to go play in Pittsburgh and, you know, Buffalo's a contender and they could use some help on the defensive line. And it's like, yeah, okay, great. It's Pittsburgh, Buffalo and Green Bay. Like, do you guys not see? I mean, even Seattle. Like, it's not like it's warm, you Even know? if it was Pittsburgh, I would buy a house in New York and just take the train to Pittsburgh. Uh, I would not live in Pittsburgh. No yeah. no offense, Pennsylvania. But, uh... Yes, offense, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Sorry, that's my job on this show, is to offend large groups of people. I say it because I'm faking it, not because I'm trying to make a dig. It's just, like, not my choice. Uh, Let's talk about technology. So what else you got going on? You got any new, uh, I see you got a Fitbit. Are you wearing a Fitbit? I am. Oh, geez. This whole new setup here is really throwing me for a loop. So yes, I am rocking the Fitbit. Uh, I got the Inspire 2 for Christmas from my mom and dad. Um, They were kind enough to get the whole family a set of Fitbits because we were getting into our activity and everything. Um, What's funny is Christy had actually gotten me a, like, I don't even know, like a, a non-brand, off-brand uh, Apple Watch, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, it was nice. Like it had some some basic functionalities, but didn't have everything. Like you couldn't do a lot of the stuff that you can do with the Apple Watch on it, um, right? And so I wore that for like a week or two, and I had had my Fitbit sitting in the drawer because I just hadn't gotten it set up and everything. And so I was sitting there charging the other one, and I was like, you know, like I'm we're gonna go. Oh, that's what we were doing. We were going to do the KL walk. Um, for breast cancer awareness this weekend. And so I was like, I'm going to wear my Fitbit on Saturday since we're going specifically to do like an exercise thing. And I'll just kind of see how it is. And I've literally like had it on ever since. Like, I don't think I've taken it off. Um, That's cool. I love it. (laughs) You know, it's very simple. Uh, I like like Christy. The main reason that she had gotten me the Apple watch thing was because she's like, you never get notifications. And it's true. Like people would call me, yeah. I would get text messages, and it's a stupid thing where it's like, "Is my phone ringing?" No, my phone's <laughs> ringing. Nothing's happening. I don't feel it. You know, like how is it that I have <laughs> phantom phone ring that I feel when it's nothing, but when the thing is like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I know, because I've called you before. I'm like, so, yeah, guy. well, no, those I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but now, works. now I have no excuse. See, that's that's the real issue. My dad's like, he saw me wearing it, and he was like, ah. So now I know you're not just ignoring my call, <laughs> or that you are just ignoring my calls. And I was like, oh, I guess I'll have to answer my your phone calls more yeah, often. Yeah, uh, my wife had the. I bought her the Fitbit a year ago, and mm-hmm. she loved it. She wore it every day until I bought her the Apple Watch. And the only and the only reason I got the Apple Watch is because like she'll go for a walk. And she doesn't want to take her phone with her. Yeah. But uh, she really loved her Fitbit. Like, she wore it every day without yeah. fail. It's pretty They're nice devices. They are. You know, it's very comfortable. That was the other thing. Um, the band on the other watch was not comfortable. It had, like, a metal stud for yeah. attaching on the bottom. And that metal, the underside of it wasn't coated in anything. Like, it didn't have any. So it was just metal on skin. And it was just, like... I don't like the way that this feels. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, I'm going to bling out my band. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not <laughs> um, I, I used to have a family friend 
friend of the family, I guess is the way that most people state that who had gotten into like Fitbit accessorizing, like doing bejeweled bands and stuff like that for Fitbits and everything. And I mean, like was doing very well from what I could understand, you know, like there was a huge market for that, uh, amongst the older white lady population. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, so in addition to my new Fitbit, which I'm absolutely loving, I am giddy because Christy ordered a new Mac mini. Sweet. Yeah. So that's going to be her new work desktop. Um, and she had kind of been looking at some different stuff and was looking at laptops initially. And I had said something, I was like, you know, Andre, got one of those new mac mini m1s and he absolutely loves it and she's like yeah i've been seeing a bunch of stuff and she likes mac products in general you know wasn't like a fanboy or fangirl like i am um fangirl but has you know enjoyed mac products and whatnot has her her apple watch and her iphone and everything so um was considering mac products but was looking at like that's what it was she was looking at one of the um iMac Pros. Right. You know, and it was like $2,500, you know, or something stupid like that. And I'm like, what? You know, you can get like one of those Mac Mini M1s and I can, we can go find you like a nice monitor somewhere. And you're not going to spend $2,500. And it's going to be faster than that thing. Yeah. And she's like, well, what configuration? And so then I texted you and I was like, what did you buy? And you sent me the exact specs. And so I gave it to her and she plugged it in. And she was like, okay. Um, so yeah, like her work gave her a nice monitor. Um, and then she ordered like the, uh, she got the same USB C port with the storage drive, um, yeah. separate that you got, um, which I think is already here. Cause she got that stuff from Amazon. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I'm very excited. She was, t- she said something earlier today. She was like, let me know if FedEx shows, uh, if you see the FedEx guy, I have to sign for something. I was like, oh, and she was like, it's not my Mac Mini. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, man. I really, really love this thing. Um, it's like, it really is freaking cool. It will like, be my next computer. Like, I've, yeah. I have already decided if it's personal work, I don't care. If I have to drown both of these in the ocean, <laughs> you know, like... I'll do whatever it takes. Um, but it's just, there's no way that I can't, that I, that I can justify like these other expenses and stuff, you know, like, uh, the, the cost of these other devices aside from that. Right. No, I, I tell you, like one of the biggest things for me is the price. And we talked about it before. Like when I started shopping for computers, I'm like, I'm going to spend close to $2,000. Yeah. Like, there's no way around that. I'm starting at 1600 and I'll probably end up at like, you know, 21, $2,200. Yeah. $2, and I mean, I think, you know, like with the, the configuration that you got and that she ultimately, or like it was less right around a thousand, a little under a thousand dollars, like 16 yeah. gigs of Ram, you know, um, with the external hard drive and everything. So you got plenty of space there, which these days it's like, you don't really, I mean, if you have a laptop, it's maybe a little bit more important to have a larger, but even then, like I've got all my little Westgate, you know, yeah. portable storage drives, the little notebook things, that, your passport that you plug in, and it's like boom, uh, up and running. It's actually Western Digital, uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. You said Westgate. 
Please don't correct me in public. I just did. I, it's payback. <laughs> Look, so audience, you know. <laughs> if you are in search for a new Jeep, Dodge, or Chrysler vehicle, visit Westgate Jeep, Dodge, and Chrysler. <laughs> they also sell hard drives. <laughs> they also sell hard drives now. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> no, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good computer. Like I really enjoy it. Uh, did I tell you you got the Air also? You did. You told me that you ordered it. Has it arrived? Yeah, yeah it has. How do you it's, like it? Oh, it's they're like the like for the amount of money I was going to buy for one computer, I literally got two. Yeah. Uh, See, and that's, only... so that's the other thing I keep looking at is I'm thinking I need, I want, I need, I want. I was just having this conversation with Helena the other day. It's like the difference between wants and needs, right? Like sure. I need sure. to drink water. I need right. to breathe air. I want a cookie. (laughs) (laughs) One of these things is not like the other. (laughs) She was like, yeah, I don't need to breathe. I'm fine. Give me the cookie. (laughs) (laughs) Stop using all your words. That mean nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, those are a whole bunch of words that mean no. (laughs) Yeah. What what was the question? You were saying like you were you were talking about that like the other day. Gosh. Oh yes. Okay. So I want what I would what I want is to have a Mac Mini M1 for my desktop for doing mm-hmm. this. Like I would love to right. have just a dedicated machine for us doing our podcast and all the editing and everything. And then I want a Mac Air, MacBook Air, so that I can take it on the road when I have to go travel and visit customers and stuff like that. And that's what makes the most sense, you know, like, uh, like, although I don't travel as much, um, there are times where, you know, even in the house, I, I don't want yeah. to be pent up in my office the whole time. And even like, um, there's a, there is a reason for owning a laptop. It more than likely shouldn't be your primary computer. Yeah. Like if I'm being honest, um, I can do 85% of the stuff I need to do on my phone, which I still find kind of freaky. Um, so that was going to be, I mean, like eventually they're going to introduce these chips into like the tablets and stuff too, right? Yeah. They're, they're coming out with a new, uh, iPad pro and rumor has it, it'll be just as fast as the M1. Cause that's the other thing that I started thinking was it's like, maybe you just get an iPad for the road. Yes. With a, with a, with a keyboard, you know, a separate, yeah. cause they got the Bluetooth keyboards and everything. And it again, all, like, all the. It all depends on the applications you need to use. Like yeah. if you're only using spreadsheets on Google Docs or something like that, it doesn't really matter. Right. Like call it a day. Yeah. You can even buy a Chromebook if I'm being honest. I've seen some pretty sweet Chromebooks out there. But I just can't I don't see spending five hundred bucks for a Chromebook, like in my mind. Yeah. I mean that's that is the the hang up, I guess, for me as well. You know, it's like yeah. I mean, I dropped three and change on the one for Helena and it's okay. Um, right. You know, like a lot of things, like it was really nice at first and then it's gotten a little bit slower over time, but it hasn't had the same kind of like steep drop off that I've experienced with low end laptops previously right. cost, you right. know, it's right. low end cost. Um, Cause I mean, it's a Samsung. So it's like, it's a nice, decent machine. Um, right. and it's, it's working great for her. It's just, you know, me when I get on it and I'm like, do all of this. And it's like, no, I and don't. that's the thing that you always want to think about. Like, so if you were to like, 
it's like with anything, what are the applications you use? Are you going to edit a, a podcast on the road? Right? right. Are you, are you, are these things going to be something that you're going to do routinely? Um, and I still found the M1 is being like, when we do travel, we have a couple of trips planned, maybe in the summertime, I'm probably going to be writing code. So it's like, yeah. I got to make sure I can, you know, compile and do all this other stuff, not like heavy, but I want to make sure that my setup is the way it is. Just bring uh, a pad and paper with you, write it that yeah, way. Oh, <laughs> all these bites should do something. Um, so that's how I look at it. I was kind of like, I think it's for the amount of money I was going to spend for one computer. I was able to buy two computers that, uh, that I can grow with and probably use for the next five or six years and not feel bad about it, you know? And the storage thing, like uh, the pricing that Apple does for the internal storage, it doesn't make sense. It's almost a hundred dollars, I think, per uh, per two hundred fifty gigabytes or something like that, or five hundred. I, I don't yeah. remember, but it's like it didn't make sense to me. And I don't even as like writing software. And, and I'll tell you why. You, I, like I would never get like a super large hard drive. It's for two reasons. One, I'll clone a repo on the project I'm working on. I'll clone that repo into my computer. Mm -hmm. And when I'm done with that project. Right. Like, you push it back up to I the I push it back. And then I just, I delete it from my, my laptop. If there are tweaks, I typically do that in my office, but I clone all my repos. Like they're literally, they're not disposable, but I don't need to have stuff like that on my laptop see but i think that that's where you differ from a lot of people right is just in terms of your tech savviness and your understanding of how to access those things on multiple machines using a service like a github you know or what have you that um, allows you to push and pull that information to different machines right and be able right. to manage the branches of your code and everything you get that when you don't have somebody like me jumping in and <laughs> like force <Mexican>. commit um <laughs> it in there uh but most people you know even like myself included i think struggle at times with like coming up with a unified digital storage kind of management plan you know it's you like something i just figured like really really thought about and figured out and i'm not trying to cut you up but no. it, it was like this will help a lot of people right so i use let me tell you my so I'll tell you this, the, the background is I set up my laptop to mirror 99% of the functionality I need on my laptop in like two hours. Okay. Wait, I had to download. You said laptop and laptop both times. Uh, laptop and desktop. Okay. Right? So I had, I have all the functionality that, you know, like stuff, right? The 1% is because I store some applications on the external hard drive. Right. But I was playing around with uh, Microsoft. Uh, oh, I had to edit a document for my wife. And I pull the document from my email, Word opened it up, and it saved it to OneDrive. Mm -hmm. And I was on my laptop, I'm like, but I don't have OneDrive. I have it on my computer, but it's not syncing. It automatically stores it in the cloud for you. And I was like, son of a gun. So I have a terabyte of space for like workable documents yeah. that never actually sit on my computer. And it kind of makes sense on why come hard drives, even Windows laptops, they don't start out with this, you know, godly amount of storage. Yeah. They're assuming you're going to get like a, you know, like Microsoft. And if you haven't bought Office 365, you should do it. It's actually a pretty good deal. Yeah. Uh, 
But I mean, worst case scenario, you've got 15 free gigs on Google, you know, like yeah. there are options out there for you to yeah. be able to have cloud storage that is available to you on a number of different devices. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think personally, I struggled with feeling safe or, you know, like I, I had some concerns about security in terms of mm -hmm. uploading stuff to the cloud. And then I have like a huge phobia of uploading stuff and then it disappearing you know like having a, a some sort of massive failure and you know it's like well i deleted all of the backup i mean like this is i am i have You're issues with this stuff sometimes and so <laughs> i use Nextcloud for like personal documents like my archive right so yeah. and it's like i have it uh so i have Nextcloud running on one of my servers i i don't recommend people do this but you can you can probably like get an online version of Nextcloud, but uh, it's on one of my servers. But I have an external hard drive. But it's only eighty gigs because you'll never like if you have documents that go beyond like I don't know five hundred gigs or like sixty gigs, you got more problems than like like the average file is less than like two megabytes, uh, and that's sure. a big PDF for the most part. Um, and I sync Nextcloud to my computers. But I also back it up to uh, uh, my backup drive that it backs up my computers. Mm -hmm. So I have a backup solution there. Most of my working documents live in uh, Google Docs or uh, now I might even start using Microsoft Office um, because I th that was like, oh, crap, it's totally not on my computer. And I don't need to have it offline. So it's, you know, those are things that when you think about it that way, you're not going to have a... a a nightmare you know, situation. So, yeah, uh, I mean, and that's a, that's a fair, I think that's where I have kind of historically been right. Is yeah. it's like, I will keep one copy on an external hard drive and then have a copy that's uploaded to a server. When, if it comes to photos and stuff like that, that's always how I've been, you know, like, right. I probably have four or five different, backup editions of old hard drives or even old CDRs that, you know, <laughs> I used to burn photos to when I was having to do a uh, reformatting of my computer. And it's like, here's my 12 disc iTunes backup and, you know, my 16 CD photo library. And it, look, most of those pictures are, you know, the same five picture and it, or I took five at the same time or whatever, because it was all the digital crap and I just never went through it and actually deleted it. Right, um, right. That's the probably one of the biggest things for me now. These episodes are what take up the bulk of my storage. But again, what I have is a one terabyte uh, Western Digital <laughs> hard drive that I plug in, and basically, I, as soon as we're done and I save everything, I make a copy of it. When I edit everything on the hard drive here on my computer. Then when I'm done, I move everything over and I delete it from my hard drive so that I right. clear up well, space. That that's way. smart. Yeah. Uh, do you have an SSD hard drive or just a regular like mechanical? No, both of them are mechanical. I don't have an SSD. Christy got the same Samsung, uh, SSD that you've got. Um, yeah, I think I, this, the MacBook pro has an SSD, right? Um, because that one got upgraded. Next time you buy an external drive, buy an SSD. Yeah, like it's, it's 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 night and day difference when you're doing operations like you're doing. Um, yeah, that is one of the. I mean, it, it'll take because each one of these episodes, 
the raw file, like when we get done recording, is about five or six gigs, depending on how Good. long yeah. we record. Um, the Merry edited, <laughs> the edited episodes with the raw because I always save a copy of the raw and then I leave that alone essentially and do all of my editing in a separate file so that if I mess anything up, I have the raw to go back to. Um, Those two combined with all of the edits and everything usually take up about 12 to 15 gigs per episode. So it can take 25 minutes sometimes for it to move, you know, an episode folder from one to the other to copy it over. What's the final uh, compressed file? Uh, Oh, like the exported file? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I can look real quick. Though. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> Who is this friend you speak of? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Episode. Oh, well, that would figure. I don't have any saved episodes on my computer, any final <laughs> ones, because they're all on my external hard drives, which I also don't have down here, I don't think. Uh, and both of my USB plugs are currently occupied. Okay. So anyways, uh, the final file isn't massive because it basically just does a, it re remixes everything to mm-hmm. combine it and then does a single audio file export. So it basically is like condensing it down to a single stereo track. Cause right now, Hi. Right now, what it is, is it's basically like my audio track, your audio track, both in mono. And then we have all of the, we have the intro music and then all of the um, topic intros and then the so outro music. 50 megabytes or is it like 100 megabytes? I want to say it's like half a gig. So about 500 megabytes for Roughly, if I recall correctly. I'm, okay. I'm throwing that out there and I'm going to look later and I'm going to be like, wow, that was so wrong. And people are going to listen to this episode and be like, what a freaking moron. This guy has no idea. Which just reminds me of this episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine I was watching the other night. Or like... <laughs> Uh, cyber crimes division moves into right. their building and basically reworks all of the internet so that they get all of the <laughs> bandwidth and none of the other departments do. And so they're going down and like, we want, you know, we need the the bandwidth back. And he's like, all right, well, how many KBPS do you want? And he's like, 50, uh, four. Okay. I'll give you four kilobytes per second. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's what I feel like somebody's gonna listen to this and be like, half a gig, what an <laughs> idiot. <laughs> Muffy, come listen. This man has no idea. I I would Who guesstimate calls their kid Muffy. I don't know. You're people. You wanna hear what I did on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we will wrap this uh, this episode up with this because I had no idea that you managed to get our Twitter account banned yeah. temporarily suspended is there suspended is the right yeah i feel bad so there is some guy you're up there with the president the former <laughs> president of the united states as having been suspended i mean if the president can do it <laughs> so there, is this, <laughs> there is a a black guy a trump supporter he's like somewhat i guess trump famous okay uh, he's he's mega famous yeah and he's I, not I was, mega famous but he's mega famous <laughs> Man, he did some coon stuff, man. Mm. And somebody said there's a name that uh oh that, that just happened. 
<laughs> that got weird. I know, right? There's a name for people that... Um, Your camera that... angle just changed. Oh, really? I'm sorry. No, it's okay. But like now it's like much wider and a little higher. <laughs> All right. Look at that's, that's a brand new camera, dude. Wait, so was the were we using the other camera before? Yeah. Weird. Oh, I... no, we were using this camera. Maybe it freaked out because... Uh, FaceTime opened up. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm not going to mess with it. Yeah, it's all anyway. good. No worries. Anyways. Um, so. And some somebody said, well, there's a name that uh, black Americans use to call somebody that did what you did. And he goes, I can't say it. And, I, <laughs> and Andre so, was like, I can. I, I said, I can. There's actually a few of them. Coon, Porch, Blank, Blank. Uh, and I just list them all. And I signed it A. And I wanted to take it back but it pissed me off so like i was so angry at just the ignorance of what this guy was showing it's like come on man there's got to be and i have okay i do not like donald trump i hope he goes to prison uh that's that is a fact but it just him and candace owens this black kid and candace owens they just it's like Yo, and I was reading this article about her the other day. Apparently, she had an anti-Trump uh, website before, like 2015. Yeah, and all this other—it's like you guys are just sellouts. That's no all reason. it is. I mean, when, yeah, uh, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but I had read something very similar where it was talking about Candace Owens, and it was like you literally were pitching your shill, you know, shilling to the left, and when you realized that nobody was buying your story you went to the only other audience that was left. And in order to do that, you had to completely flip everything that you had been pitching and had absolutely no qualms about doing it. Yeah. It just, it pissed me off. It's just like, and I call this guy some, and they, they Twitter labeled it as hate speech. Yeah. Um, and I was just trying to give some context to what the other, the previous commenter was you know, trying to <laughs> Yeah. Across. I'm sure that's all <laughs> you were trying to do, Andre. <laughs> I mean, and so, yeah, so I, if I offended anybody, I, I didn't mean to. I'm not going to apologize. That's re- literally what I think of the guy. Uh, he is a coon. Uh, he is a sellout. He's an Uncle Tom. And apparently you can't say those things on Twitter because they, they call it hate speech. It Can it be hate speech if it's coming from another black person? I don't know. Um, yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm certainly not... Uh... I guess I don't have a what a, a dog in that fight uh, is the way to, to kind of uh, I think you've used that, that term before, but it's kind of like, hey, that doesn't really affect me directly because those aren't terms that I'm ever going to use yeah. <laughs> to describe somebody. Um, but yeah, you know, what I mean, like, I think, look, I I can certainly understand where in certain contexts, you know, that absolutely is, you know, a form of, of hate speech. Um, but yeah, it's. It's it's sad, and I I've. It's time for politics. Wait again. I know we kind of touched on politics the last couple of weeks, but in a, on a serious note, I'm exhausted, and I'm actually kind of like uh, exhausted, but aware I'm exhausted of the conversation. But my exhaustion comes with awareness. I know that in upcoming elections, I'm going to vote. I'm going to, I'm going to still do my research. 
I'm exhausted because the media has this really weird, like fascination with Donald Trump. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's because it's for, well, it is for ratings. I'm not sure what the, the, we should know what the state of the GOP is. Yes. But giving this guy that much free press is it's insane. It is. I mean, it's exactly what they did in 2015 and 2016. It was look at this circus show, everybody. Can you believe that this is an actual candidate for president of the United States? And what they didn't, I don't think at the time, at least early on, fully understand that they were doing was completely legitimizing what this man was saying. That CNN literally stopped everything that was going on to cut to live broadcasts of any Donald Trump press conference. Do you know, I'm sure you've heard this stat, the number of times that they've showed like Biden press conferences now is like off a cliff. Nobody cares. Could not care less about, you know, cutting away from live coverage of something else to go show the press conference of this sitting president of the United States of America. Well, to be fair, he hasn't done any, but they do show parts of the the press con- the, the daily press conference. Yeah. Now, here's my my conundrum. I watch. Uh, I know we're running long, but it, I need to probably get this out of my head. I watch um, reliable sources on Sunday. I watch uh, the Shmurkana show on Saturday, and one thing I'm actually figuring out is that in between those two shows, everything else when it comes to certain topics is just sens- sensationalized crap. Yeah. And it's not even newsworthy. I appreciate Smirkanish because he's very objective. His lawyer shows a lot. And it's typically what I'm doing when I'm making breakfast on Saturday morning. I'm listening to Smirkanish. I watch reliable resources. I mean, uh, reliable sources because I want to kind of get a pulse of how is the media responding to their responsibility of actually reporting the news. And I think they're on the fence. I don't think they have a good way to pivot out of what they've, what's become normalized over the last four to five years. I mean, yeah, I still go back for me personally. It began on September 11th, 2001. Like that was the beginning of that 24 hour news cycle for me. That was the first event that I really was so engrossed in, you know, that I stayed up just mindlessly consuming news television, hoping for some glimmer of like understanding, you know, like why this had happened or, you know, who was ultimately responsible and what we were going to do about it. And I mean, I was living in Greensboro at the time and there was the ridiculous belief that because Greensboro has all of those large natural gas storage tanks along I-40 that we were somehow going to be next on the Taliban's, you know, hit list. Um, And so there were people in my school that were like, you know, convinced that like we got planes coming for us next. We need to be out here watching out for this stuff. And, you know, I certainly was never of that. I was kind of like, guys, that's pretty ridiculous. I, that's pretty far down the list. Look at look at the targets <laughs> that they actually went after, and they right. weren't. They were much more symbolic than they were infrastructure or exactly like strategic. <laughs> yeah. And so, 
but it did like still just create this, I mean, almost like a need for an answer, you know, like there was that question of why this happened and, and how this happened, how we let something like this happen. Um, and then it, but it was so quickly pivoted to we're going to war, you know, like it's war in Iraq, it's war in Afghanistan. It's, it's all of this stuff at the middle East. That's, that is the problem. That is where all of our problems have come from. And if we can just, you know, go in and liberate the people that want us there and provide freedom and infrastructure and, you know, give them the the chance at democracy that we have, then all of our problems will be solved. And it's like, then you start doing your actual history learning and realize that this is the same game that we've played for the last God knows how long, where we go in and we bomb the shit out of someplace and we say it's under the you know guise of liberation and freedom and then we take whatever resources we can and we kind of go well we're really sorry that this shit's all on fire but this is what you guys wanted right we'll see you later i i tell you what man i i my exhaustion probably hit a, a new level when i heard uh sen- sitting u.s senators telling the president of the united states he needed to get permission to attack syria and that just opened up the whole, are you guys kidding me? They're high. I mean, they have to be. Like, you can't, he is the leader of the Commander executive branch. Yeah. Like, that's his job. He's not going to war. He's not declaring war on Syria. Like, and where the hell have you guys been for the last four years? That's my point. Right? It's just like, you guys are kidding me. The Democrats, Bernie Sanders, Tim Kaine, like, it's inevitable that they're going to probably have so they're going to probably have just as much infighting as the Republicans. Yeah, because it comes down to a fight for power, right? Fight, yeah. uh, this fight for influence within the party, and the belief right. is that if you know if Bernie and Tim Kaine for Bernie, he's he's planted his flag, right? Like we know where Bernie Sanders sits, and he doesn't give a flip about upsetting the Democratic Party. Like that's never right. been anything that he's super concerned with, but. What you are seeing is, especially I think amongst the senators, more of this division of, you know, oh, Joe Biden's too moderate. You know, this is too much of what we've always seen from the president. And I mean, on what planet did we think that electing Joe Biden was some massive progressive achievement? Like, that's not who Joe Biden is, guys. He was never going to be that person. Right. You know, at... In, in your best scenario, people out there who want this massively progressive, you know, president, he's setting the stage for something more progressive to come down the pipeline, right? I mean, we've talked that the GOP has essentially locked themselves out of federal elections for the next two to three cycles. So if you've got one term of this Biden-Harris ticket, right, or administration at this point, Whatever the next thing is, Harris, whoever, right? Buttigieg, uh, you know, Tim Kaine. But that's where I think like you're starting to see this stupid pivot right now, right? Like it's only, it's I've got to been... plant my flag because if I'm not the first person to do it, then I'm not going to be the person who's selected as the next candidate. And this whole idea, like we have just created a a career out of being a politician and that is so far from like 
I mean, term limits for senators, yes, freaking, you should have a term limit for the total amount of years you can be in government. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, fuck, I don't care if you spent 20 years as a senator, you don't get to be president now because you wasted all of your time as a senator. I think the psych, I mean, I, yeah, I, and I'm not trying to be doom and gloom on this. It's just that the writing's on the wall and the pieces are set up to where I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, but here's what I'm really like. It won't happen, but this is what I think should ultimately like if if people and politicians could pull their heads out of their asses. I'm not going to bleep asses, so I'll just say it um, <laughs> and realize that it's not about like it's not about the extremes, you know, like right. all of you GOP members who maybe didn't say enough over the last four years, but have actually finally decided that the insurrection that occurred at the Capitol on January 6th was enough for us to say, yeah, we don't want those crazies as part of our party anymore. And for you moderate liberals, you know, Democrats who say, yeah, as much as I, you know, believe that some of these things are really important and we need to get there, I also think we need to be very responsible in the way that we do it fiscally, right? Right. Freaking just get rid of the trash. Like, you guys, come together. Fix this shit. You're so close, so much closer to each other here than you are to the own people in your party. Right. And you can't – it's not even that they don't see it because I know that they know it. They but they're so scared. They are so terrified of losing their position, their influence. I listened to a, a congresswoman from, I want to say she was from uh, New York or maybe Illinois that, uh, and I, again, we're long, but I got to get this out of my head because sure. it'll sit there and fester. <laughs> she was talking about the college debt thing again. And she made the statement that the elimination of $50,000 worth of college debt is going to be part of the uh, racial reckoning the country needs. Okay. And maybe she's right in some aspects, but I don't think the two things are entirely related. I think the bigger bigger issue is why is school so expensive? You know, have we thought about the actual problem that we're trying to solve? And, you know, if you have feedback on it, if you have a like I mean I'm just asking because this is my question. So you're saying to me that you're going to eliminate fifty thousand dollars worth of debt for keyword operative word being debt. Mm-hmm. Just because, what about the person that just, what about a junior or a senior in college or their their last year in college and they've got $50,000 in debt because they didn't graduate? Are they awarded the same like, like debt forgiveness? If the answer is no, you haven't solved the problem. You made the problem worse. What about the fact that there's still a good majority of Americans that may take out personal loans for college debt and you're only forgiving the... Uh, the yeah. government back loans. There's a lot of things where if it were me, and I think it's a good first step of $10,000, that makes sense. Like, let's fix that. Let's, let's do that. And let's restructure. Let's look at, you know, yeah. actual. See, and that's, problem. that's where I think I'm, I'm with you in that. I'm, I don't think that just straight up debt forgiveness, you know, or wiping it out, whatever, however you want to look, you know, absolution of it is ultimately, uh, I mean, you're, 
you're you're still I think you know like you're kicking the can. Yeah, you're you're taking an ibuprofen because your tooth hurts, right? Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, for the next couple hours your tooth doesn't hurt, but in the meantime that cavity is getting way worse, right? Like now you got to go have a root canal instead of just getting a filling done. And right. I feel like that's where we keep going with this is it's like well the problem is we have too many people who are in debt so we need to get rid of the debt okay what happens to all the people who have now extended that debt right and we're talking about the government back programs prime you know initially but like you said there are lots of programs outside of you know cfi and these other government you know education loan programs that people use. I mean, you think about the for-profit colleges and right. all of the predatory loans that are used in that. You're not going to help any of those people out? You know, like, what are we doing to prevent these things from happening further down the road? That it, We can't just simply sit here and say, all right, at this very moment in time, we're going to magically make some of this debt disappear. And then we're just going to... I mean, that's like... it's It's essentially saying, okay, right now we're going to go ahead and print three trillion dollars worth of money <laughs> so we can pay off our our national deficit right <laughs> boom problem solved okay except now literally money is not worth anything like right you know what are you guys ultimately doing how are we really because it, it's just you're you're just kicking the can down the road you're you're leaving it for somebody else to have to fix and i mean like in a lot of ways i feel like that's where we've been from a government standpoint in this country for a while where it's like, well, the next generation is going to have to solve, you know, climate change. Uh, you know, the next generation is going to have to solve the gender wage gap. The next generation will have to solve, you know, educational debt. And it's like, okay, when is the next generation actually going to get here? Cause yeah. right now we're just making problems for everybody else. <laughs> and you know, I mean, now like, people aren't having kids and like, that's why I'm exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, There's not going to be a next generation yeah. at some point. Like, that's why I'm sitting back and I'm like, there, there are, there are bright spots. And I, I'm pleased that we have a president that um, from my assessment is trying to show leadership. Well, while not making it all about himself. I mean, yeah. you pointed out the man has not actually attended any individual press briefings himself. He's let his very qualified, you know, press secretary go out there and do that for him. And, and do their job. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, yes. And that's and that's where it's like okay, and I'm my exhaustion is not because of the news cycle. My exhaustion is because the target's not moving. Yeah, the target is still the target. The problem is how do we actually address the issues? And I I don't think that uh, we as a country have committed to doing the actual work to solve problems. And yeah. you know, aside from I love my computer and these, it's it's kind of like eh, I, I finally got to articulate how I feel about it. It's like the problem's still there. We've we dealt with this in the area, and I'd always say, "Well, we didn't solve the problem. Yeah, we literally just kind of avoided the problem, and we're gonna we're gonna revisit this in ninety days." Yeah, I mean, our uh, you know <laughs> our weekly meetings. I won't even use yeah. this stupid term. Um, no, I will. Our P ten meetings um, <laughs> that we used to have and. It's like there would be things where it's like issues, right? We completely, our team completely revamped that whole thing because after the first like three or four months, I think, of going through it, we we're like, this is so useless. Like we're literally putting things on here and saying there's nothing we can do about them 
but we don't want to lose visuals, you know, like we don't want to like lose vis- the visual visibility. Of it. visibility yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And so we're going to keep it on here. But then all it does Stupid. is every single week remind you, we still haven't solved this problem. Like, so you start drowning in your own problems as opposed to fixing any of the ones that you actually can. And there was, yeah, there was no, no wit path created or designated for taking those problems to that next level and actually getting some sort of resolution. And that's, that's where we started figuring out, like, how do we just do this on our own? Yeah. Right. That was the, that was when we got into the whole idea of let's not ask permission. Let's provide a proof of concept and show them that this is actually working before we even on. say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, I think that's a, it's a bold step and it's hard to do that, but, and that's where we kind of, you know, we help each other. I, I am not you. I, I don't, it's not that I'm not polished. I've just, I've hit a lot of brick walls and I know some things just don't work. It's like, dude, we can do that. It's just not going to work. You go, you go smile and make everybody feel better about it. And, but let's like, kind of hide and and figure out a way a real path forward this is what made our partnership work so well in business was that like yeah between the two of us i am not bold enough on my own usually to sit there and go this is what we have to do you know or to tell somebody like no you're wrong like i will sit there and entertain ideas all day long and tell somebody that you know their ideas are valid and all this other feel-good stuff that i grew up with Um, but yeah, like at the same time, I will also go smile politely for the executives and, you know, sit in the boring meetings and stuff that are absolutely killing you, you know? And so like, we just, I I still look back and I mean, I tell pretty much everybody that I talk to about you that it's like, I'm, I don't know. It feels very serendipitous is there is really the best word that I can come up with in my SAT vocabulary um, that you and I ended up not only, you know, like knowing each other, but working together and getting to do the things that we did because I just think that you and I were such a good match for what needed to be, to happen at that right. time. You know, like um, I don't know. It's, I still look back on those times so fondly if only because I learned so much and feel like I grew as an individual and, you know, like as a, as an employee well beyond what I, what I should have been capable of growing in the time that I was there. And I, I mean, I really do attribute so much of that to you and the help that you provided. And I know this is not supposed to be one of those, like Andre hates it when I praise him and say nice things about him, but I'll make you feel better this one time. Okay. Uh, One of the, uh, one of the, He's like, uh, if you ever want to know what's wrong with me, there's a couple of people in my life you can look at and say, it's your fault. Um, when I was a construction worker, I worked with one of the, the coolest people on the planet. And he always took the time to show me stuff. And I started to expect that of anybody I ever worked with that was like my manager or whatever. I expected of myself. God, no wonder will... you hated me when you first started working there. <laughs> show me sh- what you're doing. <laughs> All I <laughs> hear is clickety clack, clickety clack, clickety clack. <laughs> um, and I learned from that experience because I was a city kid. I never built anything. He he would take the time to show me things. He was actually uh, 
he, he went to college to be a, uh, a software developer, uh, ironically, and decided that he didn't want to do that anymore. But he's always taken, and I tell him when I talk to him, like, dude, like you have shown me the type of person I want to be, even when I don't want to be that person, because I know it's the right thing. And that is a life lesson I've, you know, I try to uh, mimic, make my own and to share because it helped me. And I really do believe that people don't do things because they don't want to. It's typically because they don't know how to. Um, people don't try to do the right thing because it's hard. I can accredit that to a, a, a guy named Ed Stanberry that, uh, you know, I used to struggle with that. He said, you know, the reason the hard, the right thing to do is the reason people don't do the right thing is because it's hard. And if it was easy, more people would do it. And I remember that, you know, 20 plus years later. So I, I do believe that part of my life is to try to pay it forward. Uh, there's a, uh, there's a thing in the black community where we, as a, as a culture and as a community, as a group of people, we stopped doing where that was part of our culture. And I recognize that. And I try to do something about it. And it has nothing just to do it with black people, yeah. but to do it with people in general, it's the right thing to do. It's hard. And that's why I don't like people. I don't like people to say I'm doing things. I yeah. I just want to do my job. It's Look, my I, I certainly don't. I never thought that you were doing it for any reason other than you felt like it was the right thing for you to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, look, I don't want to get too deep into it, but you were put in a position where you could have very easily said no. Like, I'm not doing this. I have more experience. I have more know-how. I've been at this company long enough that you should not be putting me underneath this guy who's literally never managed a team <laughs> that didn't work at a movie theater or a Starbucks. <laughs> like, that was the truth of it, you know? And instead, you said, I'm going to teach this guy to be the manager that ultimately I need him to be for us to be successful. It wasn't about, like... It wasn't about your feelings or, you know, anything like that. It was just like you saw an opportunity to help me become more than what I was. And you you did. Like, you, I mean, you said that we had two meetings a week for an hour plus sometimes where you would just right. say, this is what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and not in like a dick way, but like, yeah. dude, you've been banging your head against that same wall for the last couple of weeks. And every time you come in here, we're still talking about it. When are you going to do something about it? And it made me realize like, you know, a lot of the times I am the source of my own frustration because I'm not doing the things that I recognize need to be done often because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings, you know, or because I'm afraid of what somebody's reaction or response is going to be. And that was one of the things that you helped me overcome early on was like, I still say this to this day. Like, what's the worst that could happen? They're going to hit you, right? Somebody's <laughs> going to punch you in the face. That's the worst thing. And yeah, like that sucks, but it's not that bad, right? Like, I mean, there are, it's like, it's not that bad. And most of the time that's not going to happen. Yeah. Especially in it, business. That really yeah, there's happens. a 99.9% .9 chance that you're not going to get punched in the face. Well, yeah. And I, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm just making you all kinds of uncomfortable by 
Yeah. Flattering um, you. And I don't mean to. I'm not doing it just to make you uncomfortable, but it is it's important to me that you know and that anybody that does listen knows, you know, how much your friendship and and everything that you have done for me over the years has meant and that I recognize and I appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, in some ways I've been able to enrich your life in the ways that you have been able to enrich mine. Dude, I, I surround myself with people that make me feel completely uncomfortable, that challenge me to remember. Um, so I make you feel uncomfortable. You know what, what I mean. you just said. So, so what I'm saying is my. You don't uh, like being around me. <laughs> Like right I, I, now, you're right. I don't yeah, like, right, yeah. like <laughs> this this moment right here. Uh, no, actually, it's it's true. Like I I've had, and I don't. Well, I'm not like a feelings person. I think the world knows that. Um, <laughs> my point is like I surround myself. I'm the closest with people that challenge me to be the person that I can be, um, and that, and I think most people, you know, more people should do that. You know, like all of my closest friends, Chris included. And it's a very small circle. You guys, I told you a few weeks ago, you guys all have the same qualities. It's like, oh, man, I freaking hate you. <laughs> I hate your freaking constant optimism. Why aren't you more realistic? <laughs> or or it's more like, man, there's, I can do that. I can be that person. I, there, you know, and a lot of it's, you fight your own programming. Yeah. Um, that's and it, one of the it other things I me. started listening to recently is a book. I don't remember the author. I'll find it up for next time, but it's um, breaking the habit of being yourself. Yeah. You know, and it's this whole, it, it's, it's a little hippy dippy in a lot of ways where it's basically like, if you think that you're rich, you are, <laughs> you know, like, and, or this belief that somehow, you know, now we can focus on a specific outcome from the past and somehow we can measure some impact that that had, I don't, it's, it's some crazy ass shit, but there are some core tenets to that that I think are very true in that, you know, like we are creatures of comfort, right? And so the, that rituals, the habits that we have that we fall back on that we find very comforting and easy are not always the things that we should be doing. And so yeah. finding out, you know, just changing your mindset and being able to recognize that uh, can be very important. But the hard, the hardest part, the hardest part is actually acknowledging that, right? Like understanding like why you responded that way. Like, you know, when something's off, Yeah. but what do you do about it? Um, so dude, you know, I love you. Um, and, better. and again, all my, <laughs> all of my closest friends challenge me to be a better person and I hope I do the same for them. Um, and I do it because at the end of the day, as we all know, I'm a person of faith. I drink beer, smoke cigars, and I may drop a couple f bombs. But I, but I he think still that, loves Jesus. I still do. <laughs> <laughs> it's my dude. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and I'm actually writing some stuff about. Well, I'm actually doing a uh, Mac M1 Mini review, and nice. I will be. I, I can't wait to finish that. But as always, you can always check us out at chrisandandreshow.com. Uh, that's where we we put our musings and ramblings and stuff that doesn't fit into a two hour and, and 27 minute podcast. Even Chris's <laughs> like five word movie reviews that he could totally fit into a two and a half hour podcast. Uh, you can also listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Pandora, Google uh, play or Google music. And 
if you go to our website and you listen to us on something else, like I listen to us on uh, Plex and put our RSS feed into your, your favorite podcast application, shoot us an email at the Chris and Andre show at gmail.com. That will be changing here shortly. I won't Someday. tell you when, but it'll be changing pretty soon. Um, but we really do appreciate the people that listen and you have no idea how much we appreciate it. Uh, we, we, we talk regularly, not just on this podcast. And it's kind of cool to see that we have listeners throughout the world, which is, uh, which is dope and amazing. Shout out to Boulder, Colorado. I know. Right. Uh, please get me Broncos tickets. <laughs> <laughs> please send me brownies. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> So if you like what you hear, share it with us. Uh, give us some feedback. You can catch us on Twitter at uh, Chris and Andre. Facebook doing something. Not sure what it is. I did post something on there like this last week. Okay. Right. Or two so weeks ho- ago. Hopefully I don't get as banned from Twitter because I don't have to live on Facebook. But, Seriously. Uh, <laughs> if I have to start promoting our podcast exclusively <laughs> on my own personal Twitter handle, I'm going to be very upset with you. <laughs> Or if we have to, God forbid, change the name of the show. <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> oh, all the redirect work you'd have to do. That would be a nightmare. Uh, I would be so. I won't dead. do that to you, I promise. <laughs> but we're so glad you joined us. As always, I'm Andre. And I'm still Chris. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon.